If sports are the great escapism, consider this your ultimate sports asylum. This is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sports 59 The Fan. Good evening, everybody. I'm Roger Lejoie, and I'm here until about 9.25 or so. That's when the Blue Jays and the Oakland A's, pardon me, not the Oakland A's, uh, but the uh, Blue Jays and the Los Angeles Angels get ready for the fourth game of their series. Otani on the mound tonight for the A's. Angels, rather, always fun. And the Blue Jays looking to keep their winning ways going. Boston losing to Tampa Bay. Have a chance to be two back of the wild card tonight. Heading into the game Things are looking good. Seattle on the weekend. Schedule favors the Blue Jays. They're back uh, basically healthy. Not a perfect team, but a very good team. A very much better team than they were in the early portion of the season. So all indications are they got a real shot at making this. And tons of time left. What, 48 games, 49 games, whatever's left in the season. Plenty of time to catch up. And it's exciting every night. So we have the game starting for you at 930 between then and now, we have plenty to discuss. And show poll tonight, I put this up because it's, it's I guess, big news of the day. Uh, many of you are aware, anybody who's a, a sports fan, likely aware of what the situation is with sports betting in this country. The only quote-unquote legalized, legalized form of sports betting in this country up until now has been Proline, which is... Several teams, several games at the same time. And I am fully aware many of you have offshore accounts and there's advertisers on our station who who have them. So sports betting is still done in this country in a lot of different ways. But this is now federally regulated, approved. It can start as early as August the 27th. And I'm told... It is a process to get this set up and do it properly, but it will now be full legalized individual sports betting in this country. So therefore you will be able to go to wherever the providers are going to be for this and bet on the Leafs, the Jays, the Argos, whoever you want. Leagues are all behind it. They have given it their blessing. And in fact, many of these sports betting um, ventures are going to be closely tied to these leagues. I, I, I certainly hope that's the right way to go. But this has happened in Europe as well. And it's been an ongoing kind of thing. So it's Canada kind of catching up. So my question for you on Twitter tonight, and you can reach me at the Raj 590. That's my handle at the Raj 590 is single game sports betting officially coming to Canada. Will you be taking advantage of this? Three options. Yes, big time. A little bit. Or you're not interested. And again, I present the question with the caveat. I am aware that a lot of you might be interested, but you've already been betting uh, on these offshore sites for a long time. A lot of people at the station have accounts. I get that. I get that. But for those of you that aren't, and even if you are, this is going to make you more prone to make wagers now. It is a billion, billion, multi-billion dollar business that has just been released 
it will be interesting to see where this goes, how much money is spent, who gets to coordinate it, and it's a fascinating. So that's our topic on Twitter tonight uh, for you. We're going to do lots of Blue Jay talk, of course, because the Jays are battling the Angels later in an attempt to keep that win streak going. In just a moment, Drew Fairservice will join us. He's the host of the Spin Rate on The Athletic, and he'll catch us up on the Blue Jays. John Cooper was on Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan earlier today. He's the head coach of the Canadians men's hockey team for the Beijing Olympics. Also, of course, Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, two-time defending Stanley Cup champ. I call him the head coach of the Beijing Olympic team because we're not even sure if Canada's going to be playing in the Beijing Olympics, but they've anointed the coach already. There's some talk of a boycott, of course, and whether or not the NHL players will be there is still a moot question. They have some time to figure that out. But it's kind of like they've got the chauffeur, but no car yet. John Cooper will be driving that uh, bus or Lamborghini, whatever you want to call it, if the Olympics go for Canada. And it was a great interview. We'll have that for you. Mike McIntyre on the National Bank uh, Tennis Championships going on in both Toronto and Montreal. We'll also check in some NFL news as well and more Jays talk throughout the course of the show. We love your feedback, so please bring it. At the Raj 590 on Twitter, email roger at sportsnet590.ca, or you can text the show at 590-590. is the text line. Those are the way for you to communicate with us. Like I said, I'm here till about 925. Delighted to be with you. Blue Jay Baseball is on the way. Speaking of those Blue Jays, Drew Fairservice joins us now. He's the host of The Spin Rate on The Athletic. Talk about uh, the Jays beating the Angels 10-2 last night. Drew, thanks very much for being with us. Hard not to be excited about the Blue Jays' playoff chances, Drew, when you see the way this team has played in the last 15, 16 games. And with the trade deadline acquisitions, this team figures now to win a lot of baseball games. I think we saw that last night. And it doesn't have to be Vladdy. It doesn't have to be Springer. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez certainly was a hero last night. You know, they're, they're in a really great position because of the depth. And, and it's not just depth for having, you know, depth sake. It's not just they have a bunch of guys who can all kind of do the job. They have talent and lots of it. And, and I think you made a great point about how it's been George Springer for the last couple of weeks. It was, you know, Bo Bichette before that. It was Marcus Simeon has, uh, like everybody, has his ups and his downs but the offense just keeps going. They just keep scoring runs. They just keep blowing out teams that are worse than they are. And the Jose Barrios trade added depth to a place that they sorely needed it because now, you know, as, as the Blue Jays lose are stripling to injury, they're not so, so bad off. They don't have to, to dive deep into the who's going to start and, and kind of rolling the dice with Thomas Hatch or, or wondering about, you know, any of the other kind of their six, seven, eight guys on the, on the depth uh, chart. They're just in a good position to continue to win games and win games by a lot because they're a good team and they're better than these kind of uh, middling teams that they're playing right now. It's a, it's an enviable place to be. It certainly is. They are a much better team now than they were in the uh, second half, in the first half of the season. And it's uh, it's very exciting. So George Springer, of course, has a pair of homers, Guriel Jr. Yeah. Bleeds it off with the solo Homer and Alex Manoa, which is another thing we know uh, drew right from the start of the season. This team was going to score runs. We knew the lineup was power packed, but the way the starting pitching has by I'll use the word evolved, but come to be such a dominant top four starting rotation. And right at the top of it has been Alex Manoa, who's in, you know, just in his infancy of his major league career and just continues to impress 11 K's last night. No, absolutely. He's done everything you could ever hope 
uh, and more if you're the if you're the Blue Jays front office. You knew that that depth uh, in starting rotation was going to be a bit of a question mark. You knew that this was a guy uh, Alec Manoa that you couldn't count on, but you had high hopes for. He, he's not uh, you know a high school arm kind of fresh out of the woods. He's a guy who's pitched in in high pressure games that matter, thrown tons of pitches. You know, kind of has those kinds of miles. But then I think the biggest thing that you've seen, and I think the thing that's allowed him to kind of really succeed is that he has that sort of pitchability, that sort of uh, intangible piece where he's willing and able to move away from a pitch if it's not working, to work on things. If it's a two-seamer is really working that night, he can he can really lean on it. But if it's not that, he can mix in his slider. And and I think uh, I heard Buck Martinez make a great great point in the broadcast last night, which is his slider has really evolved. And the slider that got that got hitters out in the minor leagues wasn't going to work in the big leagues. Uh, in my mind, especially, I mean, it's kind of grainy, weird camera footage, but he left a lot of sliders up in the minor leagues, but he was throwing so hard. Those hitters were overmatched in the big leagues. He's improved and he has just been exactly what they need to step in and throw innings and get out and be a huge personality and a guy who just loves to be there. And it really seems like the rest of the players love to have him around too. So two things that, that really, um, that really bode well for the for the squad for for the rest of the season, if nothing else. Drew Fair Service is with us, host of the Spin Right on the Athletic. I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet tonight. Great to have you with us here on Sportsnet 590, the Fan Blue Jay Baseball coming up at 9:30. Drew, the, the lineup one to nine is so explosive, and you know the easy thing to do is you've just got to go ahead and find the best um, uh, combination of, of of hitters, and you want your top hitters leading off and and going in order. That's why. Uh, Vladdy is at number two. But that all said, and it went back uh, back in 2015-16. Jose Bautista was leading off at times. You want your best hitters up as much as possible just because your, your, your best hitters have to be there. But in particular with George Springer, it just seems <laughs> he was designed to lead off. He thrives on leading off. And not only do you want him up there because he's one of your best hitters, arguably the number one hitter, especially the way Vladdy is hitting right now, he just enjoys being the first guy at the dish to start the game, hence all those leadoff homers. And since moving up there, it's no coincidence, Drew. He's just been on fire. No, absolutely. I mean, he, he's a great player. You know, they paid top dollar for a great player who stepped in and been great. It's just that kind of instant upgrade that free agency offers um, every so often. And, and he's been great. And I, I would love for you to go back in time and tell, like, teenage Roger that uh, the ideal guy made for, for, uh, for leadoff is a – a guy who hits for power, who strikes out like 25 or 30% of the time. The game has changed, and, and, and George, guys like George Springer are the future. And the Blue Jays, as you mentioned, it is as far back as 2015 and, and 2016 when they would hit Josh Donaldson and, and Jose Bautista right at the top of the order. It looks different. It's not the slap hitter speed guy at the top. It's just get the good hitters as many at-bats as, as you can. And George Springer is a great hitter. He's a guy who's going to have long at-bats. He's, he's patient, but aggressive. And that's that kind of the hallmark of these Blue Jays. They don't wait around. They're not up there looking to walk, you know, maybe other than a, a few members. But they're super aggressive. They will punish you if you make a mistake or you leave a pitch in the wrong place in the zone early. But they're also not afraid uh, to draw their walks if they're George Springer and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in particular. So it's really ideal at the, at the top uh, of your order just to, just to get those, good, those great hitters as many at-bats as you can. Uh, because then sometimes, you know, the, you have that much greater chance of, of having them come up again in those in those high leverage situations if you uh, if you do what you can to give them as many chances to hit as possible. 
And I'm glad you brought up the the you know uh, <laughs> the the length of time it takes some people to realize that Drew because uh, for years of course the leadoff hitter was a speedy guy the second guy was a good bunter to move him over to third or if it's a second or third uh, move the runner along the third hitter was a pretty good hitter the cleanup hitter was the slugger number five all, all the way down and for 70 years people just accepted that kind of logic is well that's the way they've always done it but you want your best hitters up more often in the game over the course of a season and it only makes sense and and now that the blue jays are doing it they're thriving it and and where do the angels hit otani in the leadoff spot why wouldn't you have him in the leadoff spot so while we're all discussing about getting a guy on base and bunting him over to second and then maybe the third uh, hitter can throw him uh, uh, drive him in how about otani or batista or springer hit a home run and it's one nothing isn't that a little easier than that? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's if if you have a guy who can who can get you a one nothing lead or who can start off an inning or who can even if it's a leadoff guy coming up with two outs because the eight nine hitters were retired, that instant offense is always waiting. And, and you know my personal philosophy that that I've you know you read a lot of the sort of sabermetric style writing and and uh, there's a book called the book about how how to optimize your lineup. I don't think you need to get even that technical. You just think. We're just trying to optimize our chances to score runs. And how do we do that? If you're the Blue Jays, that means you have to think about, do we want guys on ahead of Vlad? Or do we want guys who can come in behind him and drive him in because he's a guy who's on base so often? And I think that that's what they've done. While they did move him down last night, you know, just trying to see if they can get him a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you know, having Springer at one and then and then uh, and then Vlad at two or three, Bobichet figuring in there as well. Again, just really skilled hitters that, that give you the options and the luxury to try to optimize your lineup in a way to score as many runs as you can to play for the big inning because, again, that's the way the game is played these days. 100%. That is the way it's played. So, Drew, speaking of uh, Vladdy, uh, things have gone so well for the Blue Jays, so it has not been a an issue at all. However, his numbers in August have, have not been very good at all after such a brilliant uh, first half of the season. And listen, uh, it's a small sample size, but for August, you know, a 195 average and a, 16, a 616 OPS – for a guy that many people had ticketed as either number one or number two on their MVP ballots is uh, it's a blip. However, how much of a concern is it? I, you know, I've, I've heard former players on this station talking about it, that when you're 22 years old, you know, the fatigue comes it's it's year three and the excitement of the first half he's in there every single day it sounds like an excuse it's not an excuse i think it's an explanation but do you see anything in in vladdy's swing his demeanor that would suggest this is just a dog days of august problem don't worry about him he's going to be right back up there in the mvp conversation or is there something bugging him maybe i think that uh there is probably a little bit of fatigue i think the thing that we're seeing him um, kind of lose a little bit of that incredible plate discipline. He is chasing a lot more, and he's the, 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 which means that he's not in as many hitters' counts. I swear, for the first three or four months of the season, it felt like every time Vlad came to the plate, if he didn't hit and hammer the first pitch, it was 2-1. It was 3-1. It was 2-0 because he just wouldn't swing it at balls. And now he's a little bit fatigued, I think. Uh, Joe Siddle uh, on the Blue Jays pregame show the other day did a really great breakdown about his timing might be a little bit off. I think those things all go together. Um, he put so much work in and did so much, uh, put so much effort to become, you know, fit and to, and which we saw really was able to what unlocked him as a hitter. I think it's really uh, hopeful that he can rely on that fitness, rely on that the, the time he spent in the gym uh, over the winter to sort of rediscover that that fitness, st- stay strong, and kind of get his timing right a little bit. Um, and I think that he'll be fine. And then he'll be able to a 
um, see the ball a little bit better, B, really take advantage of pitches when he gets them, um, which, again, when he's behind, it's harder. You know, no, every, everybody, if you're behind 0-2, you're really, if you're a right-handed batter, you're really vulnerable to say that slider down and away, which even a great hitter like Slider who has that incredible eye, you know, he has to protect the plate. So he's swinging at pitches that he would ordinarily be able to take. And he's got that great eye, so he can, drew, drew a lot of walks. I'm not really worried, you know, unless you're every, every hitter other than Mike Trout slumps. So, you know, this, it's only 40 or 45 plate appearances or less than 50 that we're at right now. You know, if it, if it proceeds, if they, don't, if they don't get him a few extra days, if they don't maybe give him a few more uh, shifts as, uh, as DH, I'd be a little bit concerned. But it's, it's only been yeah, 50 plate appearances. I'm not worried quite yet. Uh, bang on there, 100%. So Tampa Bay finishes off the Red Sox, thumping them 8-1 to one today. So the wild card lead of the Red Sox over the Jays is down to just two games. Yankees also half came up. Oakland in the mix as well. That's part and parcel of, Drew, you know, the excitement, I think, around the Blue Jays fans about their getting into the playoffs. Not only is the team hitting its stride, the trade deadline has come and gone. They've clearly improved their club. But boy, especially the Red Sox, you talk about Vladdy in a slump. The Red Sox have just looked terrible uh, recently. And, and, and that's another reason, I guess, for, you know, hope from the Blue Jays' perspective because the teams around them certainly aren't doing anything to distance uh, the Blue Jays or even make it that hard on the Blue Jays in the last little while. No, look, the Blue Jays are as good as any team in the American League. You know, Houston, I think, is, is, is definitely looks like the best team in the American League. Chicago is obviously a very talented team that plays a very easy schedule. Um, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, or the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Rays—they're not better than the Blue Jays. They're—they're they're not. I'm not saying the Blue Jays are the best of the bunch, but you know those teams are right there. The Blue Jays are playing just as well, just capable of playing just as well, and even better. You can see by—you know—people uh, are probably sick of hearing about it, but the Blue Jays' run differential sort of speaks for itself. They have a huge opportunity. The Red Sox weren't supposed to be in this position this year. They weren't supposed to be as good as they are coming back to earth a little bit. The Rays are always the Rays. They're a bit of a wild card. The Yankees, you, you know, you, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it can be tough to get a read. Their offense has been ice cold at times. I don't think, you know, especially with the acquisition of Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, um, when Rizzo, if he ever, you know, gets comes back from the COVID, uh, the COVID list. But, uh, you know, the, the, those teams are vulnerable because the Blue Jays are, are, are powerful. The Blue Jays have, are definitely, you know, uh, if I'm digging into the bag of sports cliches, they have, uh, you know, control of their own destiny. They can just go out and win games and they'll be fine. They're playing against teams like the angels that are worse. They're playing a team, you know, when they go on to Seattle, Seattle is, you know, relatively on the outskirts of that wild card race, but they're not as good a team. So they have an opportunity to, to make some hay, to make up some ground, not only in the wild card race, but in the division race. I don't think there's any reason for Blue Jays fans or anybody in that Blue Jays clubhouse to rule out the American league East, because while there are, there is a bit of distance between them, there's no reason that they can't make up some of that ground by continuing to play well, continuing to do the things that they've done and continue to take advantage of the schedule, which all season long, all, all spring long, we talked about how much softer the schedule was in the second half. Well, here, here they are. And so far, They've taken advantage of it, and they just got to continue doing so. Uh, that's indeed the hope. We'll see if they can do it. And uh, all the games are big. There's no point in um, sugarcoating them or even trying to hide it. The thing, uh, Blue Jays have another big one tonight, and they are taking on uh, the Angels, looking for yet another series win. And there'll be a game and a half back of Boston uh, for that last wild card as the excitement is really continuing and so much fun to watch. Drew Fairservice is the host of the Spin Right on The Athletic, joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. Always great to have you on the show, Drew. Thanks so much. 
Thank you, Roger. Really looking forward to tonight's game. It's going to be so much fun. Will be indeed. Thank you, Drew. Well said. Drew, fair service. He's right. So listen in tonight. The game is 930 right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan and, of course, on Sportsnet as the Jays look to continue their run uh, towards a wildcard spot. Our poll on Twitter is up at the Raj 590 is where you find it. And the question is, single game sports betting is officially coming to Canada. Will you be taking advantage of this? Yes, big time. A little bit. Or no, you're not interested. So far, 46.9% of you are not interested. 28.3% say yes, big time. And 24.8% say a little bit. And I'm fully aware a lot of you already have offshore individual sports betting accounts you've been using for a long time. But give us your feedback. We'll read them on Twitter at the Raj 590. You can text the show 590-590. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca anytime. Couple of shout outs to a couple of regular listeners, Carl and Thornhill. Carl, thank you for your note earlier today. Great to hear from you. Another big sports fan. And Jessica and Julie in Pickering, who are big sports fans. They talk about sports all day at work, I'm told. So Jessica, Julie, thanks for listening in. And there's your shutout as well. And for all of you who are texting in, just give us your name and your location. We'll give you your, uh, read your comments throughout the course of the show on text, email, and on Twitter. But coming up, one of our top interviews of the day, John Cooper. So here's a guy who's won back-to-back Stanley Cups as a head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Back-to-back. That's pretty incredible. So they make him the head coach of Canada's Olympic team. Well, that's a feather in your cap as well. But are they even going to the Olympics? And how is that going to work? And how does that work into his schedule? It's a fascinating time vis-a-vis the NHL players in the Olympics to start with. And John Cooper will be dealing with that. He was on writer's block. We'll we'll play that for you. Vote in our poll on Twitter. Drop us a text. Drop us an email. We'll read your comments throughout the course of the show. I'm Roger Lajoie here until Blue Jay Baseball starts at 9.30. This is Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Roger Lajoie. Blue Jay Baseball is coming up. At 9.30, Jays will have to deal with Otani both at the plate and on the mound uh, tonight as the series wraps up. Jays have won two out of three against the Angels and with Tampa Bay beating Boston today, now find themselves two back of a wild card. Yes, yes, this is getting fun. Big time. So stick around for that later. We'll have more Blue Jays talk later on in the program and... We'll talk about the uh, National Bank uh, Open as well uh, going on in Toronto and Montreal. Scaled down, certainly in terms of uh, fans and media compared to most years. But great to see the event back. Very important for Tennis Canada. Mike McIntyre will uh, join us and talk about that. And we'll talk some NFL and NHL with Zig Fracassi uh, later in the program as well. So stick around. Much to come on the show. And your comments are always welcome on Twitter at the Raj 590, email Roger at sportsnet590.ca, or you can text the show from your phone, 590-590, and with your name and your location, and we'll get your feedback. Individual sports betting is coming to Canada. It's official. The law was passed some time ago. Government today announced starting August 27th, the process can begin. Takes a while for various groups to get it set up, but there's no need anymore to use an offshore site. There's no need anymore to just 
bet on pro line three games at once. You know how it works in there. You can bet on any game at any time. How do you feel about that? Seriously. I know some people don't really like sports betting, so I want to hear from you too. And I'd like your feedback and your comments, and we'll read it uh, throughout the course of the show and have some fun with that. Going to have some fun listening into a top interview from yesterday, actually. John Cooper, head coach of the Canadian men's hockey team for the Beijing Olympics. Well, that's if the Beijing Olympics include NHL players. And the Tampa Bay Lightning back-to-back Stanley Cup coach was on the writer's block with George Rusick and Richard Deitch. Let's listen in. Um, when you heard the news uh, that you were named head coach of Canada's men's hockey team, when did you hear it? How did you hear it? What was your reaction? Well, it's it's uh, you're like there's so many emotions going on. Uh, probably a little disbelief, uh, honor, pride. Uh, there's so many emotions that go in. And you know, Doug Armstrong, um, when he let me know, uh, it was I, I, I was like. What? so excited and uh you know i have to thank him and then tom reddy and and scott salmon and the guys at hockey canada that you know this is a really exciting time and and there's so much you know growing up in prince george and and watching uh year after year you know these the people put on the uh, maple leaf and represent their country and now i have the opportunity to do it uh, like i said I, I i it was so exciting and so I'm just really grateful for the opportunity and, you know, trying to add to the rich history of Hockey Canada uh, in the Olympics. John, how do you approach uh, an assignment that, you know, may not happen? Like, I, I wonder, uh, I just, I wonder how sort of philosophically uh, you do that. Although, you know, like, I, one day I'd love to have, like, six-pack abs, and maybe I should just approach my life as if I will have them. But there's no guarantee on that. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, you have to approach the job as if, you're ultimately going to be coaching a team in the Olympics. But as you know, those decisions are ultimately made way above you. Yes, they are. And I, I think a lot goes into this. Um, it's just not as easy as saying, okay, hey, let's throw all the pros in the Olympics and, and let's go. Tons of work has to go into this. And so you have to respect that. But I think, you know, we're pretty far down the line in this process, you know, even to the point where the NHL schedules come out and there's a three-week gap there. So, uh, I, I think there is a plan in place. Um, have all the I's been dotted and T's crossed? I'm, I'm sure there's a little work to be done, but I do know on our side of things, as whether it's the coaching staff or the players, uh, they all really want to go. This was a big part of, you know, they've um, the best on best and representing the country. Uh, it's it's what these players they live for, and uh, yes, we compete for a Stanley Cup every year, and that's. You know, your dream is to be on that. But every four years, to be in a situation where you get to represent your country, um, you know, you jump at the opportunity. And I think when it's all said and done, I think it's it's going to happen. But like you said, you just never really know until we're on the plane on, on our way over there. Uh, John, have you found yourself in the last week or so, like, just doodling lines on, like, a cocktail napkin or whatever? Here's my number one line. Here's my power play line. Like, are you thinking about, oh, my God, I could potentially pair Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid together? Have you been thinking about some lines and how exciting that must be? Yeah, when you, uh, <laughs> the old cocktail, Nevin, over the years, that's uh, come up with a lot of game plans, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> um, but, they, you know, Doug and the management staff, um, they've been tirelessly working and, and, you know, watching games all through last year, through the playoffs. And then I think this year, too, even 
you know, from October to probably January, um, guys will be, you know, finding their way probably on the team or off the team. So it's, uh, you know, it's hard to project where guys are going to be. But, yeah, is it, is it kind of fun to watch some of these games? I think I'm going to have to stay up late now being on the East Coast. I'm going to have to watch a lot of these uh, West Coast games now more than I probably would. But it uh, it is exciting, especially when you represent Canada, knowing the wealth of hockey players that uh, come out of our country. Yeah, John, I thought it was pretty cool of George to recommend Connor McDavid, like if you haven't seen him play. That's actually it's a pretty good <laughs> I tip. I think he's got a chance. You I want those West Coast, West Coast games. Um, yeah. One of the things... Uh, you know what, though? We, of, haven't, we haven't had the opportunity to play those guys, it feels like, forever. That's true, yeah. Like, I don't you're even, right. You know, like, All right, so he's Edmonton, on the fringe. We, okay. <laughs> in Edmonton, we, uh, we spent I don't know how many days in their arena and, and uh, in the bubble last year, but we didn't play him last year and the year before... Uh, the pandemic. We were on our way to Western Canada to go out there for that trip when the league shut down, so we didn't even get to see uh, Edmonton. So even it's uh, it's been quite some time where I've uh, been able to see Connor McDavid play live. Yeah, we saw him in Canada, Johnny. He looks pretty good. I mean, it seems like he's yeah. uh, fast. Um, so I'll have you, know, you guys on retainer. Yeah, well, thank you. I would take that. I'll take the Team Canada retainer. Um, the one of the, the you know if you um, hear from coaches um, in every sport you know not just the NHL but whether it's like Belichick types or, you know Phil Jackson etc they, they really have talked about how hard it is to defend a title particularly that first year after you win and so I I'm curious in terms of what what were specific challenges um, in terms of defending a title as opposed to ultimately climbing the mountain the first time. The, the big thing is is keeping them hungry and making sure that they're not satisfied. And then I guess in the end, to simplify it, is like the exhale. So you build up and you work, you know, your whole career to get to this point, especially with some of the ups and downs that we've had, you know, with the Lightning and kind of this core group. And then you finally get there, you finally win, and then you're like, oh, okay, we did it. And it's And it's kind of... You know, we talked about the guys early on. It's like, well, it's easy now. It's easy to sit here and say, well, if we don't win this year, we won last year. We've kind of bought ourselves a few years of, hey, the Lightning are pretty good. But we didn't want that as kind of our legacy. And, and we thought, listen, like, you know, you can sit here and become a team that, hey, you just won one. Or, you know, do you want to start potentially throwing the word, dynasty best teams of like the past decade you have that opportunity and that doesn't come around very often let's try and seize it and you know we, we brought back much of the same core um i know it's pretty well documented that we got nikita kucherov back but he didn't play for us for for 56 games and you know we didn't weren't sure how he was going to come back but all the pieces fell together and and then you need stuff to go right you need you need stuff to fall in your lap uh and we just played well we got the bounces and and, uh, you know, when you got the big cat back there in net, he can uh, bail you out and some things go uh, go south a little bit. So it really worked out. And now, you know, he's getting the guys hungry here to see, hey, now why not do three? Um, John, I'm glad you brought up uh, Nikita Kucherov. It's not like he had a blister on his pitching finger. He had major <laughs> hip surgery. Do we forget that? That's a major procedure that guy had to come back. It was. And, and uh, you know, in the times of social media and fans, you know, more and more get to voice their opinions as well, and, and they should. I mean, they, they're they part of the game just as much as we are, and, and but he did. He If he could have 
Like, it wasn't our choice at the beginning of the year to sit here and say, ah, you know what, let Cooch take the year off. We'll see how he is at the end. No, that was not the choice, and it wasn't his choice. You know, you think about legacies of players and 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 having to skip a whole regular season. That's uh, that's tough on guys. And so uh, pretty proud of him now, how he hung in there and, and just kept rehabbing and rehabbing to get himself back. And, and then just to watch him, and especially the first game we played, that Florida team was as good a hockey team as we've played all year. They were outstanding. It was a really tough series. And for him to jump in the middle of that and do some of the things I did, it, it just kind of stamps of, you know, what an elite player Cooch uh, is. John, um, I'm wondering, you know, one of the um, things that you've, um, you've gotten praised for from players and I think just observers of the NHL and correctly so, is just your ability to connect with, with players and your ability to manage personalities. And I wonder how much of this is related to your own journey. Uh, I was looking you up today, uh, doing a little research prior to the show. Like, you know, you, co- you coached the Texarkana Bandits in 2003, the Green Bay Gamblers in 2008. You know, you have AHL stops. And so, you know, you clearly, you know, you saw a lot of parts of the United States and Canada. And you, and you dealt with a lot of clearly players of different uh, types, many of whom obviously would never make the NHL. Like, is part of that journey... Uh, you think why, I don't know, you at least have at least a, a pretty good feel for what players need and, and want and expect from a coaching staff? Uh, it's hard for me to say. I think the, end of, you know, the players probably have a better answer for that. I um, I will say, and thanks for, <laughs> that was actually some fond memories of some of the places you brought me back <laughs> to, but it's like, well, you know, my son was born in Green Bay and lived there for three months. He doesn't remember it. My girls were born in St. Louis, lived there for three months, don't remember it. And it's because of, you know, you're moving on and coaching. And that's actually a good thing when you're kind of taking those steps. But uh, it's the, the big thing for me, you can never forget where you came from. And just because you travel a little nicer, stay some little nicer hotels, it doesn't mean you forget where you came from, your manners, your work ethic, all those things, and, and you have to have those core values that you've grown along the way. And I remember even in Texarkana, it was a, a Southern Belt town, and we were, you know, we would we played in the state fair, and we'd have to, like, take the ice out, and then we'd have to put it back in, and, you know, we'd stay up all night. You know, I learned how to paint the lines and put the boards up and, and spray the, you know, water on every hour. And so it's just life lessons like that you learn, and you appreciate those when you, you know, eventually get to, situations where um like i said you're staying in nice hotels and you just appreciate them more and you appreciate the work ethic the players put into it like i've watched kids go from high school to midgets or whatever to junior and watch their career and watch them grind and watch them go from first line players to fourth line players but in the end like i never played in the nhl i wasn't good enough to do that so i appreciate and respect everything those players do uh and you know you hope that that gets returned and in the, in the same manner, usually if, you know, you want to treat people the way you'd like to be treated. And it's uh, been a formula for me just in life and not only just in coaching. John Cooper is the head coach of the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning and now Canada's head coach for the men's team for the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Joining us here on Writer's Block, George Russick, Richard Deitch, Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. In hindsight, John, obviously it was such a shocking upset when you guys were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2019. Was that, I don't know, was 
blessing, maybe the wrong word, but you guys haven't lost back-to-back playoff games since that sweep to Columbus in 2019. Can you look back at that and go, maybe we don't win back-to-back cups if we don't lose that four-game series to Columbus? I would I would just take the maybe out of there and say we don't win unless we get swept like that. And it's easy to say now, um, but I will tell you that was as difficult a time in my coaching career. Because uh, what people forget is, I think, you know, Scotty Bowman won 62 games and 60 games with Detroit. He's the only team to win over 60. We won 62 games that year. And that was tied for most, and, and that's what probably made it even more shocking. And then, then we go to, gosh, we went to the awards, and, and gosh, I was up for Coach of the Year, and Bassey was up for the Vesna, and uh, Cooch was up for MVP, and, and then we got basically mocked up on stage. You know, we just had to eat it because, in the end, we did get swept. And it was really eye-opening for us, and we'd been really close. You know, we were close in 2015, uh, we'd been to some game sevens at the conference finals, and and this was this was the tipping point. And this was not uh, oh Tampa Bay lost that series. Columbus beat us. I mean they were better. I give them all the credit in the world. And and but we had to look at ourselves in the mirror and decide okay we you know it was a learning experience for all of us. But it really kind of was a stock correction for just the mental makeup of us. And we didn't need to change our team. And you got to applaud uh, Julian for you know not blowing the whole thing up kept us together and we just we found and navigated you know getting some pieces in the Coleman's and Goudreau's and Gosians and Shattenkirk's and Maroon's um of what we needed and we didn't we didn't need those up, upper echelon players I guess that I think teams look for we needed the supporting cast and these guys were phenomenal and and then once we dug our heels in uh no, and now we have two cups to show for it. But as you said, we don't go through that heartache, which is so difficult. Uh, we're probably not here with two cups right now. John, um, uh, the 2010 gold medal um, would probably be on the short list of you know greatest Olympic accomplishments in this country, depending on where you want to rank different things. Uh, in 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 2010, you were in a, you were a head coach in the AHL. What are your memories of that gold medal game against the U.S.? Do you remember? Uh, where you might have been when you watched it, or or what your, you know, what, what where you were in your life when when that game went down. So I know exactly where I was. I, so I was, at the time, I was coaching the Green Bay Gamblers in the USHL. So I went to Norfolk the next year, or well, I guess a couple months later, and we had an afternoon game. So that game was played in the afternoon out in Vancouver. We're in Green Bay, but we we were playing at the same time, and our game was kind of on the same trajectory of theirs in the sense that when our period would end, it would be like two minutes left in the period in the gold medal game. So we come after the second period and there's two minutes left and we're like, oh, perfect. We're going to watch Canada win the gold medal. This is awesome. And then sure enough, the U.S. scores with like whatever it was, 30 seconds left. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) We go back out for the third. Now we're all rattled. Even our players were watching it. And we're, like, rattled that we have to not watch overtime. And they had a – there was a big party pit in our arena in Green Bay. And there was a huge big screen, and they were playing the gold medal game. And this is the God honest truth. Andrew Lee was on my team uh, who plays for the Islanders now. He was within, uh, in Green Bay. So the game's going on in overtime, and I'm watching the game in overtime. So I'm not even watching coaching our game. And the guys are like, Coop, who's up? And I'm like, 
whatever, Lee's line. And they're like, Lee's line's already out there. I'm like, all right, well, just basically coach yourselves. And I was watching the game. Something happens in our game where I can't I have to focus on our game. And my assistant taps me and goes, look up, and the gloves are up in the air. So I missed the goal. But I vividly, obviously, as you see, I vividly <laughs> remember uh, what happened that day. <laughs> You love a story like that because even a guy like John Cooper, a professional coach, is still a fan. And sometimes people forget that. At every level of hockey, the hockey fraternity is, you know, it's not that large. You're a fan. So in 2010, he's watching. He doesn't get to see the goal. It's a great story. And now, if NHL players are allowed uh, to compete in Beijing, he'll be the head coach. How about that? And what a trajectory John Cooper's career has been on. Yeah, pretty good decade, eh? Holy smokes, he's coaching in the USHL in 2010. And in 2021, he's got two Stanley Cups as an NHL coach. Nice life and is also uh, Team Canada's uh, uh, head coach. Great stuff. John Cooper, head coach of Canada's men's hockey team for the Beijing Olympics and, of course, coach of the two-time defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning on the writer's block with George Russick and Richard Deitch. Also good to see that um, John gives credit to the management of the Lightning for filling in the holes, keeping the team together, keeping the core together, very similar to what Chicago did. And there's going to have to be changes. You can't keep teams together in the salary cap era for a long period of time because of contractual structures. But you can certainly mix and match some of the other parts and keep a core together. And the more you see that, is that not what the Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to do? Exactly. Emulate Chicago and Tampa Bay. Keep their core together. It hasn't happened for them yet, so they're being criticized. How long do you wait, though? And here's the big difference. Tampa Bay's had heartache. Chicago had heartache before they won. Detroit had heartache before they won. A lot of teams needed to lose before they won. Gotcha. Cliche. Right. At least I still haven't won a playoff series in 17 years. And they've had five cracks with this core. So how many are you going to give them? Well, I can tell you this much. They're getting another one this year. That's already been determined. Great stuff. John Cooper on the writer's block. We got great feedback from you, our listeners, at the Raj 590. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca and text 590-590. And we're going to hear your say in a moment as Sportsnet Today continues. I'm Roger Lajoie on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Tonight on Sportsnet 590, the fan, I'm Roger Lajoie. Great to be with you. 9.30 is when Blue Jays baseball takes over on the airwaves. Between then and now, you got your chance to be on the airwaves via text, email, or on Twitter at the Raj 590. Love your feedback on our question of the night involving sports gambling. And a couple of people have asked me, so why am I pitching this question tonight? Well, I'm pitching this question tonight because at this station, generally what we do is follow the top story of the day. And when you consider the impact that sports gambling has on the sports industry, this is a big development. 
we knew several months ago that the Canadian government had passed this law that would allow this. And now they've given specific dates and timelines. So it's going to be sooner, much sooner, actually, rather than later it happens. So our question is, single game sports betting officially coming to Canada. Will you be taking advantage of this? 48.9% of you are not interested. Good to know. 27.3%. Yes, big time. And 23.7%, a little bit. Some comments coming. Philip has one. Philip, a regular uh, uh, tweeter to our show. And Philip, thank you. He says, why would I? I've had an offshore betting account for 22 years. Philip, thank you. You're not alone in that. A lot of people do. Um, I know when this story first came out, especially with the younger crowd uh, around here at Sportsnet 59 The Fan, I'm, I'm the senior senior citizen here, and the majority of people I work with are, you know, like 12, 13, 14 years old. Well, they, they look that old. and But a lot of them are obviously over 18, 19, because they have online betting accounts, and they don't even see the big deal. Say, so we've been betting on sites for a long time. So that does come into it. And how this looks and how it affects the whole industry, we'll see. But, Philip, thank you, and always nice to hear from you. Steelwind uh, sends a tweet in, says, given that the OLGC will be administering this in Ontario and has one of those, I don't know what the emoticon is, but it's the really nervous, like, you know, the one with the grin, and it looks like uh, that was a very bad description. But you know what I'm saying. He's concerned that the OLGC is running this ship and does not have a lot of faith in them. I am not going anywhere near that. But <laughs> thank you for the comment on Twitter. At the Raj 590 is where you find me on Twitter. Text 590-590. Andy in Peterborough says, not a chance. He's involved getting interested in sports betting. The last time I won a satisfying sports bet was when the Jets won the Super Bowl. Andy in Peterborough. Andy in Peterborough. If the last satisfying sports bet you had was when the Jets won the Super Bowl, you are in one long slump. <laughs> but thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris in Newmarket says, Proline is trash. They literally steal a factor in every bet. Any offshore is better. Friends don't let friends waste their money on Proline. Chris, thank you from Newmarket. A lot of people feel the same way about Proline, but that's one, uh, Proline, but that is one of the reasons that sports betting has come. It is one of the reasons it's here because of the dissatisfaction of the only legalized way to bet on a sports game in Canada up until this law passed, again, putting the offshore uh, sites aside, is through ProLine, and you must have a, it's a par mutual ticket. You must have several combinations. We all know that. Anyone who plays ProLine, you need three NHL games to all go your way to win. People don't like it. George on St. George doesn't like gambling at all. And he says, hi, Roger. This is email, by the way. And you can always reach out on email, roger at sportsnet590.ca. You can also fax us as well. But we don't know where the fax machine is. I don't know what the number is. And even if we find it, it uh, probably doesn't have any toner in it. So you better stick to uh, email, text. And uh, to, um, Andrew Holland, just a technical director, said 10 years we've been out of toner. Whew. A long time. That is a... So, you know, folks, I do not recommend fax. But all the others... Uh, you are welcome. Anyway, George says, I listen to the fan on a fairly regular basis. Why? Mainly in the hope of hearing some personality and conversation. And quite frankly, gambling talk is just not really good conversation. Nor does it bring out the best personality or sides thereof. I'm generally shutting the radio off when I know I'm about to hear people's gambling stories. So my hope is this shift towards gambling does not entail a shift by the fan into becoming more and more a gambling talk 
radio station. Thanks for asking the question. George, thank you. And thank you for your reply. And thank you for your uh, honest opinions. Uh, I, I will say this. I am not talking about people's gambling stories uh, here tonight. I am responding to a top story of the day, which directly affects the sports industry, which is what we do at the station. And in terms of our topics throughout the course of the day, I can't speak for the industry or how much of a, a talk sports betting. Sports betting is always a, a factor in a lot of sports uh, conversation, uh, George. But there are, let me put it to you this way. I learned a long time ago, I've been on the station almost 29 years, that when you attempt to please everybody, you wind up pleasing nobody. So it's a topic for me on this show today because of the significance and the timing of the story. I can tell you on my shows, I don't talk a lot about sports gambling. I talk about other issues. But tonight, this is a story, and I hope you see the significance. And I thank you for listening, and I thank you for the email, sir. David emails in. Roger, sports betting for me is a non-starter. I'd rather buy a lottery ticket, to be honest with you. I just can't figure it out. And end of the day, it's like any gambling it can go too far. So I am not a fan of this new law. David, thank you. I'm not a big sports better, never have been, to be honest with you. However, I mean, to each his own look, it's, I, I look at it this way. If, if there's going to be sports gambling, and there is, and there's going to be offshore sites, and there are, and it's going to be there, well, why not regulate it properly, keep it on the up and up, and put the money into taxes? I have no issue with that. So that's, that's, that's where I would look at it from that standpoint. But, David, thank you. Lots of emails. Roger at sportsnet590.ca, which is great because sometimes we don't get a lot of emails. But you can always email, especially if your thought is longer than a text. If you can get the thought down and make it concise, which is always better, 590-590 with your name and your location. And you can always hit me up on Twitter at TheRaj590. We'll talk about this topic, but we're going to talk more about the Blue Jays. We're going to talk about the National Bank Open. Nice to see the tennis event back in Canada. And we're going to talk a little uh, off-season NFL as well. Sportsnet tonight continues until 9.30. Then it's Blue Jay Baseball. I'm Roger Lajoie. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan. If only there was a way to engineer the human eyeball to watch 10 different screens at once. Keep your eyes and ears on every game with Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan, I'm Roger Lajoie. Here till 930, Blue Jay baseball coming up. LA Angels, Shoatani pitching tonight for the Angels. Always fun, but what's more fun, if you're a Blue Jay fan, is watching them continue to win baseball games and creep ever closer to that wild card berth. Tampa Bay hammers Boston 8-1 today. As a result of that, yet another half game shaved off that lead, so it's down to two could be a game and a half tonight. Still a lot of baseball to be played. A lot of home games for the Blue Jays. A lot of games against, let's call them subpar opponents. They are healthy. They improved the team at the trade deadline. A two-game deficit with 49 to play. That's nothing. So, yeah, 
I think, time to be excited and to see where this team is uh, going uh, to go should be fun. Uh, Zig Fracassi joins us later in this hour from SiriusXM. Talk a little NFL and uh, NHL with us, but in particular the NFL preseason getting underway. Hard to believe, eh? And especially the way the seasons with COVID and everything else is transpiring. Uh, it will be uh, it'll be fun to chat with him. Uh, Ethan uh, Diamandis, a Blue Jays writer for Sports Illustrated, will join us and we'll continue talking about the Blue Jays. But another big event is the National Bank Open, and it is great, great to see it back in Canada. It is toned down, scaled down for sure, especially with crowds and to a certain extent the playing field, but it is great to have it back. Mike McIntyre, Canadian tennis journalist, host of Matchpoint Canada podcast, joins us to chat about it. Mike, great to visit with you. Nice to have you on the show, sir. Hope you are safe and well. And hey, let's start with Rebecca Marino. It's too bad the run comes to an end because what a great story she was, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Such a heartwarming story. Um, For those who aren't familiar, Rebecca Marino was a top 40 player on the WTA back in uh, the early 2010s and took five years away from the sport to deal with some mental health issues that she was going through and uh, then finally decided to return to tennis won a bunch of tournaments at the lower level, sort of the minor leagues of women's tennis, uh, had a foot-ankle injury in the summer of 2019 and missed nearly a year of tennis. And now she's back. She's at the age of 30, and she's made it to the third round um, before falling today to the third round of the tournament in Montreal, which is the first time she's ever accomplished that in her career. And she beat some big-time WTA players uh, en route. First round, Madison Keys. Second round, Paula Badosa, who's played terrific for Spain this summer. And unfortunately, she couldn't get by the number one seed today, Arena Sabalenka. But nonetheless, she's going to see her ranking jump up from 229 in the world um, into about the 170 range. And between the ranking boost and a little extra money to help her with her travel costs and and whatnot, which isn't easy for a tennis player if you're outside the top 100 in the world, uh, this is a big boost for someone that's been through a lot in her in her life and her career. Well, for her, uh, no doubt about it. And, and when you look at it, people not aware, you know, she took years and years away from the game. And the fact that she could get back to this level is something else. And I guess though, maybe Mike, and I don't want to temper it at all, because it is a great story. And I wish her nothing but the best. And Hey, you lose to the number one seed. That's, that's going to happen. But at age 30, you know, you've been a player, you understand the, the game more than most. Is it realistic to expect that she could, you know, give these kind of performances moving forward? Is that too much time off? Is this just a kind of Cinderella story that we can expect to maybe unfortunately go away? Or is she going to have some staying power here? Because she looks terrific on the court. Yeah, well, first of all, don't refer to my playing career at all because there's not <laughs> much to talk to there except for a little high school tennis. But nonetheless, I love talking about it. Um, she's in great shape. And I think all those years away from tennis actually have helped her and can prolong her career because her body hasn't been through that grind during that five-year absence from the sport. So that's one way of looking at it. Also, she's so happy and so fortunate and thankful to have this second attempt at her career. And I think that gives her extra you know, motivation while she's out there as well. And she's got the kind of game, big serve, uh, power game, dictates the points. And I think, uh, especially these days, you see athletes extending their tennis careers uh, you know, well into their 30s. I see no reason why she can't still have success. I'm not saying she's going to be a top 20 type player, but I could see her getting back into the top 100 and having some solid results. Well, that's good to hear. And uh, listen, I think everyone is cheering for her, especially when you know the story and everything she's overcome. So it is a great story. But she goes down today. Bianca Andrescu looking for a spot in the quarterfinals. How do you assess her game as we speak right now, Mike? She's going right now at this minute. Yeah, well, I wanted to say you're kind of calling it a tense time here for me, Roger, as 
as I've got the match live in front of me and a first set tie break for Bianca against uh, Tunisia's uh, Anz Jabeur. And uh, Anz Jabeur is a really tough opponent. She's very similar to Bianca in a lot of ways. There's a lot of power mixed with a lot of uh, skill and drop shots and touch as well. So Bianca's kind of getting a taste of her own medicine here. The first set has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, if you're listening right now and you're only a casual tennis fan or you've never seen Bianca play, I would highly recommend turning the TV on like literally right now as this first set tiebreak is going on. Uh, if Bianca's up 4-3, uh, you got to get to seven points to win it. So it's getting kind of tense here. Um, but this is what it's like to watch Bianca. It's, it's never straightforward. It's always a roller coaster of emotions. And that's part of the appeal. And that's part of what Montreal tennis fans are going to absolutely love this week watching her play there. Well, isn't that the case, though? You, know, you talk about her career. I'm glad you brought that up because outside of a couple of dominant uh, performances, every tournament she's in is, is, is life and death at some point. And that's no different than a lot of tennis players are, but she just has that kind of thing for her. Is like she seems to thrive when she gets into some kind of difficulty or trouble. And that's been one of a, a modus operandi of her career almost from the start, is it not? Yeah, she's really learned how to handle adversity. And even in her uh, run to the finals here in Toronto two years ago, how many of those matches were three-set battles that were going back and forth? But time and time again, she found a way to dig herself out of trouble. And so, you know, that's part about what great makes her a great champion is the fact that she knows how to handle those moments. And uh, she kind of likes that pressure, and she loves performing in front of a crowd. So hopefully things go her way this week. She's had a, a tough 2021 hasn't been as consistent as she would like. Um, you know, she had COVID earlier in the year. Her coach, her former coach, now Sylvain Bruno, Bruno, also had COVID. Um, she had to miss time with injury, uh, travel issues as she was recovering from, from having COVID as well. It hasn't been straightforward. Her grass court season wasn't great. We last saw her at Wimbledon, and she lost in the first round there, opted not to play the Olympics. So she's got some rust to shake off for sure. And, um, you know, hopefully she can find her way through this tournament and uh, give Canadian tennis fans something to uh, cheer about uh, up until the weekend. Mike, this um, this event this year, and not just this event, but basically all of tennis, is difficult to kind of get a handle on, and for obvious reasons. I mean, COVID has played havoc with the schedule. Um, there's always the element, even in a normal a tennis year of injured players and rankings and defending events. But because, you know, players have taken time off, whether it's because of COVID or not comfortable playing or have not been, uh, you know, up to snuff. And, and, and we've seen a lot of players needing mental health breaks during this. And don't we all need a mental health break during these, these COVID times, but the women's, you know, tennis circuit was about Serena and everybody else for the longest period of time. And now we've gone through this COVID 17 months and, Serena, of course, has had her struggles and is now 17 months older. So in due time, she kind of moves on. But in, in the woman's, you know, rankings, it seems, you know, there's there's new names. It's back and forth. And unlike the men who we've just been through this era of the big three and nothing but the big three dominating, the women's era has been the opposite. So do you see this as perhaps an even more of an opportunity for Bianca or for whoever? a good, young, up-and-coming player to really solidify herself and not have to play against icons like we've seen with the three men and not having to face Serena in her prime. Yeah, well, a lot to digest there. But uh, I hear what you're saying, and definitely it's sort of the polar opposite of the men's tour. And I like that uh, you know difference in variety between the two tours because I love watching them both. And on the women's side, there's, there's so many names who are capable, who are quality tennis players, 
Um, the, the sport has come so far in the past 20 years. And when I look at the draw here at the Banque Nationale in, in Montreal, you know, there's a good 10 players who could walk away with that title, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, and Bianca being one of them, of course. Uh, Bianca, by the way, just took that first set 7-6 in the tiebreak, so that's great news for, for her. But getting back to, to your question, um, I like where the women's game is at right now. I think there's a lot of personalities, if you take notice and you follow the tour to get excited about. And look, before the big three, let's not forget, it was kind of more like that on the men's tour as well. You didn't have one guy winning tournament after tournament or three guys splitting it. You had the Beckers, the Edbergs, Lendl, Michael Chang. I mean, I could go on and on the number of players that were regularly winning slams. And I kind of like to see that. So, you know, it's been great to watch the big three. And and we're going to look back one day and say we watched the three greatest men's players of all time, I believe. But it's also kind of nice when the outcome is less predictable, I would say. Agreed. So we see Bianca, and thanks for the update, winning that first set, 7-6 uh, against Jabur. So hopefully finishes it up, moving to the quarterfinals. How does the rest of the draw kind of shape up, Mike, in expectations as to how things might unfold? Over on the women's side, uh, Yes, Rod? yes. Yeah, well, number one, Sabalink, as I mentioned, who beat Rebecca Marino, is, is still in, in the quarterfinals. Uh, Victoria Azarenka, who won a couple of Aussie Opens a few years ago, is still in there as well. Um, we're hoping Bianca continues. She's got a nice little section of the draw at the bottom as Simona Halep and, and um, Elena Svitolina, who were the two top seeds, both lost early. So it, it is wide open. Um, one name I should mention is uh, 17-year-old American Coco Goff, who is one of the next uh, potential big-time talents on the WTA Tour. She's already almost in the top 20 at just the age of 17. I spoke with her today, actually, at length. It's going to be on our podcast tomorrow if you don't mind the plug as our special guest and um, she is the future of women's tennis along with players like Bianca Andrescu so it's great to see she's still in the event and wouldn't it be something if we could see her and Bianca uh, make their way to the semifinals where they could potentially meet in the bottom half of the draw here oh that would be exciting and that would be uh, a lot of fun from the and we'll get to Montreal on the men's uh, side in a second but Mike from the the financial perspective of this and and Tennis Canada I mean last year's you know, cancellation of what was then the Rogers Cup was was catastrophic. It really was. It really, Tennis Canada's funding really depends on this tournament and uh, and a successful tournament. And while it's back, you know, the, the numbers and the fans are not going to be at the usual pace uh, that you see for a variety of reasons. And obviously not a variety of reasons, it's COVID. Let's, let's blame the culprit uh, for mm-hmm. what it is. So, where where do you see Tennis Canada doing, you know, um, moving on from this? Is is it something that they talk about? Do you hear a lot about? Do you talk about on your podcast about how Tennis Canada recovers when your one major source of revenue is gone one year and the next year it is far less than it's been before? It's got to be tough for grassroots development because that's where a lot of this money goes. Absolutely. It was so crippling for Tennis Canada over the past year. What's happened? We've spoken with Tennis Canada CEO and President Michael Downey about this very matter. And uh, look, the tournament provides about 90% of the funding that comes in each year for Tennis Canada. So that is enormous. They had to lay off 70% of their staff last spring when things were really ramping up with uh, the pandemic. Unfortunately, some of those people have been rehired, but many of them haven't. Um, so, you know, it's, it's affecting people and, and their families and their livelihoods as well. And as you mentioned, at a grassroots level, that's the money that gets pumped back into the program. That's the money that goes for physios, trainers, coaches, traveling costs, you name it. 
and that hasn't been there over the last year. So we want to see the next Biancas, the next Denis Shapovalov, Felix Ogiele, it seems. And those kids are out there relying on that money. So to have both tournaments back this year, even with limited fans on center court, it's a step in the right direction uh, to get the uh, revenues as well from the TV coverage, I would imagine. And hopefully when I'm talking to you in 12 months, uh, we're talking about two tournaments that are at their absolute usual 100% um, you know, capacity as well. Uh, amen to that. Mike McIntyre with us, uh, co-host of Matchpoint Canada podcast. I'm Roger Lajoie. The National Bank Open continues in both Toronto and in Montreal men's side. CC Pass uh, celebrates a uh, 23rd birthday uh, by moving on. I asked you the same. I'll ask the same question for the men as the women. How do you see the draw on the men's side shaping up? Well, it's a very different kind of draw when you look at it because for the first time since 2001, there's no Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. That's how long it's been since those three guys. Since we didn't have at least one of those three guys, I should say in the tournament in Canada. Uh, Gustavo Kierden was the number one seed the last time that happened, just to sort of jog your memory there. So this is an excellent opportunity for the rest of these guys, these younger guys, to show what they can do at a Masters 1000 level, which is just below a Grand Slam for those who aren't familiar with the tennis lingo. And these are the young guys that are going to, you know, take the torch. They're going to assume the mantle from the big three when they inevitably retire at some point. I mean, you can only run from father time for so long as we've seen with Federer's lingering knee injury, with Nadal, who was here this week, but unable to compete because of a foot problem that he's been dealing with over the years. And even Djokovic has had to sort of take a step back as he prepares for the U.S. Open, where he's going to try and get his fourth consecutive major in a calendar year, something that hasn't been done since the 1960s. So to get back to your question, the young guys like Pass, uh, number one seed, Danil Medvedev, and, um, you know, unfortunately, I don't have a Canadian name to throw your way because they both lost yesterday. But for these young guys, this is their moment to prove that uh, they've got something that can one day try to, you know, it's going to be tough, but try to replace the marketing power, the star power of those big three guys I just mentioned. Yeah, it's amazing. That is an amazing stat when you think about it. 2001 since they, you know, have not been a factor here in uh, either Montreal or Toronto is like, that's, that's remarkable. It's two decades, those guys. It's, it really is. It really is incredible. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about Bianca, her chances of, of not only cracking through because she's already cracked through, but her place in, in the woman's um, specter of things. How, how do you feel about Chapeau and, and, um, uh, and Felix? And for that matter, Milos, as you know, we head into the, the core of the summer of the tennis season this year. Yeah, well, let's start with the two young guys because they were the two that played the event this year. Milos, unfortunately, was out with injury, and that's become, unfortunately, all too common for him over the past few years. But when he's healthy, he's still quite capable. Dennis and Felix had a great opportunity. As I mentioned, the draw was looking really good. And, and they're not like fringe players. It's not like they're going to surprise anyone anymore. You know, Dennis was a, uh, a top, uh, he's a top 10 player on the tour. Felix Ogiel-Yassim is knocking at the door there as well. He's just outside of the top 10. And unfortunately, neither one was able to do it on Wednesday in Toronto. Felix went in the daytime session and was just missing too many balls, unfortunately. He's kind of in a funk right now on hard courts that started at the Olympics where he went out shockingly in the opening round. And for Dennis, who made the semis at Wimbledon just you know a few weeks ago, which was his best result at a major, and he's only 22 years old, even though it seems like he's been around longer, he also went down last night in the late uh, night match against Francis Tiafo from the United States, and the wind was just really affecting Dennis. He, he plays with you know a high-risk game, and if there's any wind, that's going to throw him off just, just enough to make some of those balls uh, land outside of the court. So he wasn't able to even push it to a, a competitive third set or anything of that nature. 
disappointing for both of them, disappointing for fans here in Toronto, obviously, who would love to see them play. Um, but there is so much to look forward to, and you got to chalk it up to a learning process as these guys are still figuring out what life, life is like as professional tennis players. Well, future is certainly unlimited uh, for both of them. Finally, Mike, before we let you go, how do you think the fans have has there been much reaction? I, I, I know people are happy to be back. It's the same kind of thing as uh, as people in Toronto back for the Blue Jays in the ballpark, the excitement, the team's back. I know a lot of people. I've been to 22 Rogers Cups in my career in both Montreal and Toronto. I love the event, and I know how many fans make it a part of their summer schedule, their agenda to get back, and a lot of them can't still come back for a variety of reasons, but how has it been in your estimation? Are, are, you know, are, are, are people enjoying it? Is there still some trepidation? Because every time during COVID when people start to gather again, I'm always curious as to how, what you know, read we get of, of the people sitting in the stands and their degree of comfort of being there. Yeah, great question. Well, let me tell you from personal experience, I was there last night with my seven-year-old son on center court. And even though we couldn't, you know, scurry around the grounds and catch matches on different different courts, even though there weren't any, you know, promotions or things for the kids or, or live entertainment or auctions or any of that kind of stuff, it felt so nice to be sitting down with my little guy watching professional sports again, cheering on, you know, last night it was Shapovalov and watching my son experience that. It was awesome. It was like everything else kind of faded away in the background. And for a couple hours, it just kind of felt normal to be out there enjoying that time as a family and, uh, and enjoying tennis at its uh, highest level. So I think the same is probably, you know, to be said for fans going out to catch the Blue Jays right now in the fall when hopefully NHL hockey is, is back with fans in the arenas as well here. Um, it's a nice step in the right direction. It's a nice distraction. And I very quickly got back into that familiar role of just being a sports fan last night. Hey, that is a great way to wrap up, and I'm so happy to hear that, and you and your son enjoyed it, uh, Mike, because I saw a lot of joy in the ballpark uh, in Toronto when the Jays were playing, so uh, good on you both, and uh, glad you enjoyed it. Mike McIntyre is Canadian tennis journalist. He's the host of Match Point Canada, the podcast. Joining us, talk about the National Bank Open, which continues Bianca ahead in her match tonight uh, against Jabur. Great stuff, Mike. Thanks so much. Stay well. Take care, Roger. You too. Thank you, Mike McIntyre. Uh, joining us it is great to see people back and enjoying the events it's a process i can't say because i you know we we get this all the time you know a lot of people say do you ever get tired of talking about certain things and to be frank about it like no not really because listen we're like a an fm station so we're going to play the hits so the hits are the Jays, Major League Baseball, the big pro sports league. So sometimes it's repetitive. I never have a problem doing that because that's what people want to hear. They 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 want to they they want to get involved in that. But am I sick and tired of talking about COVID in relation to sports? Sign me up, yes. And I think we all are. And I think what we've got, all got now, no matter where we sit on any side of opinion on this, is just absolute fatigue with it. So when I hear somebody can take a seven-year-old son and feel comfortable in the stands, Mike, I'm happy to hear that and uh, glad you enjoyed it. Okay, let's get some more views from you. And by the way, that's always an ongoing thing. I'd like some feedback on from our audience is, how are you feeling about going to events? Blue Jay fans, how do you feel about being back in the ballpark? A lot of people talking about the fans are all, they're kind of bunched together and they're you know, not wearing masks, but it is outdoors and that's always a topic. But tonight's topic, sports gambling, because... It's come to Canada, and many of you are, and I'm really interested in this topic for a variety of reasons, but one of them is I am really 
interested and surprised by how many of you don't think this is a big deal at all, including Gary in Richmond Hill, who texts us. I can never say that. Texts us at 590-590. Gary says, Canada is so late to the party, nobody cares. That is interesting information for maybe some of the people who are expecting all of a sudden this is going to result in a pile of billions of dollars of more in gambling from sports, uh, in, in revenue from sports gambling. If many people, like texter, uh, a tweeter earlier, Philip says, I've had an online account for 22 years. Anybody who really wants to bet on individual games, are they already betting? I know I'm making it more widespread, more available, taking away any kind of legalities certainly opens it up more. But maybe the expectation that all this money is now going to be spent on it. Is that true? Gary, thank you. I'm going to keep an eye on that um, on that perspective. Mike in Toronto has a similar sentiment. He says the OLG is too late to the dance. Most of us uh, use offshore sites that work just fine. OLG should thank the individuals that thought it was a bad idea to host single sports betting. It costs them millions. Mike, thank you. Interesting topic. Interesting topic. Bob in Oakville talking about the Blue Jays. Loves the show. Thanks, Bob. And says, shouldn't we be talking about how Otani is hitting just as bad as Vlad is right now? Bob, thank you. Here's what I'll say to that, Bob, because show's in a bit of a slump himself. I'm not going to talk too much about Otani in the same way I'm not going to talk too much about Vladdy, the way they're hitting. Because I always remember what Russell Martin told me years ago. And, of course, former Blue Jay catcher. And I was doing more reporting in those days and he didn't just say it to me but he said to a, a lot of people and he said one of the frustrating things is when you're a slow starter and you start the year one for 20 okay you look up at the scoreboard and your batting average is 050 and you feel like a bum but if you're in july and you're hitting 280 and you go one for 20 your average goes down to say 268 or 270 or whatever you get my point right you don't notice it as much. So instead of centering on Vladdy's poor numbers and shows kind of lukewarm numbers in August, how about we center on the fact that their OPSs are both over one still. Show's got 38 homers. Vladdy's got 35. They're going to be just fine. Everybody goes through a funk like this. But to your point being, if you're going to criticize or talk about Vladdy, talk about Otani slump too. Granted, but let's not talk about either one of them because you know what? I'll go out on a limb tonight, and I bet you they both go off tonight because they're just too good, both of them. Thank you for the comment. It's great. Man, we got all kinds of people weighing in on this gambling thing and just thinking it's not uh, that uh, a big a deal. Uh, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, 590-590. I'll read some more later. 590-590. Lots to come. And we'll take your emails. Roger at sportsnet590.ca. And you can also... Get us on Twitter at the Raj 590 and your thoughts on the poll. Vote in the poll, and we'll have that for you as well. We're going to talk some preseason NFL and more Blue Jays on the way. Jays start at 930. Until then, it's Sportsnet tonight, and I'm Roger Lejoie on Sportsnet 590, the fan.
Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Roger Lajoie. Another hour to go. Blue Jay baseball comes up. 9.30, so 9.37-ish. First pitch expected tonight. L.A. Angels and the Blue Jays. Blue Jays now just two games out of the wild card as Tampa Bay thumps the Red Sox today. So all good there. Got a texter. Wet in Welland says, Roger, great to hear your voice tonight. I'm currently soaked in filthy water and fixing the family washing machine, and I'm not a plumber. You are a calming factor right now. <laughs> wet in wetland. Well, wet, I'm presuming that's not your real name. Do appreciate the text. Stay well, and um, good luck with that. I'm not a plumber either, so I hear you, pal. Uh, anyone can text us, 590-590, name and location, please. Always great to hear from you. You can email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Always great to hear from uh, all of you and your feedback. And on Twitter at the Raj 590 vote in our poll, please. How do you feel about this announcement on sports betting? 48.7% of you are, are not interested, which I find extremely interesting. Yes, big time, you are 27.6, a little bit 24.4. And the votes keep coming in, as do the comments. So uh, keep them coming. Keep them coming. Great time in sports. And it's because of COVID. So many sports overlapping and everything else. But listen, it's August. It's time for NFL uh, training camps. Preseason getting underway. Zig Fracassi is a host on Sirius XM. It covers the NFL and the NHL. And he joins us to talk a little NFL preseason now. Zig, great to have you on the show. Hope you are safe and well. And, you know, so many great stories and storylines when you start the preseason. But I got to admit, Zig, I'd, I'd really like to know your thought on Tom Brady because we talk about the legend and everything, and he wins another Super Bowl. And now, though, apparently he did it with a torn, a torn MCL. And, you know, quarterback coaching saying, well, it was just like a bad headache or whatever, like, Seriously? Like, first of all, seriously to that. And second of all, is that team capable of winning again? How long before we can move on from Tom Brady is what I'm asking you. Hey, Roger, good to be with you. And uh, it, it is another storyline for Tom Brady. I'm surprised now, of course, I had a chance to cover the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremonies last week, and Peyton Manning uh, obviously made reference to Tom in his speech, and Tom actually was there, which was kind of cool. And they started booing him. You know, I think good-naturedly and all this, but I'm thinking deep down, he's going to probably use this as yet more motivation you know, the innocuous booze, if you will, but he's going to use this as motivation because I've never seen anyone, uh, an athlete quite like this, maybe Michael Jordan comes to mind, uh, that uses little slights or perceived slights as motivation. Uh, obviously, all starters are coming back for Tampa Bay, and I think a lot of them, or some of them at least took less money to be able to do so for a chance to repeat. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they seem like they have the right mindset, the right mentality. And they were largely uh, uninjured last year. So, uh, again, though, Roger, the thing you got to watch for, a couple things. One, does that Super Bowl hangover set in? You know, the banquet circuits, all the adulation, the attention. Do they lose that motivation? And two, God forbid, you know, some guys start getting banged around a little bit, a little bit hurt and all that. Uh, that could be probably the detriments uh, for Tampa Bay. But I think, you know, for the first time since the Brady teams of New England in the early 2000s, 
you may have a legitimate chance at a repeat champion. Well, it's really incredible when you think about it further down the line. And you're right about the the Brady booing and what have you. And, you know, Zig, it, it, it just comes down to how people feel. And, and it's a, such an emotional topic. And we talk about it on the shows all the time. You know, the Brady haters, and there are a lot of them, just have, have had enough of Tom Brady. But at the end of the day, if you just take a deep breath and analyze the body of work and what we're seeing... It is absolutely phenomenal. And the kind of year he put up, whether the injure, injury, how bad it was or whatever, if he was 100% healthy, like what, what, uh, I don't have the stat in front of me, Zig, but the number of quarterbacks over 40 who have even completed a pass in the NFL, never mind you know, taking a team to the Super Bowl, you can count on the fingers of one hand. It, it is incredible. And here I go gushing over Brady again. But you know what? I, I side with him there. And the people that are booing, well, it's all about jealousy, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, the advent of guys now being able to play and very effectively now into their 40s. And it's because of the advances, not only in nutrition and diet and all this, but, you know, Tom Brady, like I mentioned earlier, has that insatiable hunger. You know, for a guy who's won now seven Super Bowls, got the hot wife, the beautiful family, the guy's probably got more money. Actually, she has more money than him, but I think the fact they've got a ton of money, he can retire right now probably on his own island and, you know, just say, hey, I'm the GOAT. But you know what? He still has that attitude of I was slighted, I was the 199th pick in the two, you know, the 2000 draft, what have you, and all that, sixth round, so... He still has that insatiable hunger. Would it shock me if he played another, you know, two or three years? Probably not. Maybe Giselle wants him home eventually. But bottom line is, as long as number 12 stays hungry, it's good to see. And, you know, if people are jealous, it's, I think deep down, Roger, it's, they have a, an admiration for him. But I think they're a little tired of it and they want to see some fresh blood winning championships yeah not only that but he beat their favorite team too many times over the years right. that's what we get with the buffalo bills fans all the time if i was a buffalo bills fan i'd hate tom brady too <laughs> he, he, he's won more games in in buffalo than bill's starting quarterbacks have during his career so like roethlisberger in cleveland you know exactly he owns them yeah. the same kind of thing and my favorite brady stat is still a draft pick of the montreal expo so i'm a montreal guy <laughs> I, that's that's my favorite stat. <laughs> Zig Fricassi is with us from SiriusXM. I'm Roger Lajoie. Okay, so uh, Dak Prescott is another big story. Speaking of injuries, rehabbing, uh, had a devastating ankle injury, and now another MRI on the right shoulder. What's what's the prognosis? Not so much, and none of us are doctors to be able to figure out how quickly he can get healthy, but what do we think of the Cowboys this year, Zig? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, to the Dak injury, I think it is kind of interesting that, you know, they come out with the statement they're going to have another MRI, I guess, on the shoulder. And to announce that, I thought, I don't know if I use the word disingenuous, but I don't know if it's one of these things just to kind of silence people. But he keeps on insisting that if it was a regular season game, he would have played like last week in the Hall of Fame game. So he doesn't think it's anything serious. Um, you know, hopefully it's, it is nothing serious. Maybe it's just one of those things, and neither of you or I are a doctor, and I actually had a former uh, NFL physical trainer on uh, my show last week or a couple weeks ago, Aaron Borgman, asked him about it, and I thought maybe it's one of those things where because he's coming back from that devastating ankle injury, could it be something that he – you know, uh, in, in comp-
compensation or whatever, trying to get the form back and maybe overthrew a little bit or, you know, try to compensate for the injury. The bottom line is um, he doesn't think it's that serious. So hopefully for the Cowboys it's not, but it might be something that he winds up having to play through. I'll tell you this, they put a ton of money into him, and if if he's even a reasonable Dak Prescott, you got to figure with a focused and, you know, Ezekiel Elliott in terms of, you know, him coming back from a mediocre year last year. The offensive line is back. Uh, they have a really deep receiving core. And if they're even semblance better on defense, and that may not be hard because they were next to last in defense last year, uh, if they are even remotely better on defense, I think the Cowboys have a chance to take the NFC East and who knows, maybe surprise a few people along the way. Uh, 100% will be interesting indeed. So Washington taking on the Patriots tonight, Steelers and Eagles. How about the Patriots? Uh, you know, we, we started our conversation with Brady, and that's not a bad way to do that because of the greatest of all time. It merits that discussion. But um, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, it's always been how much of this is Brady? How much of this is Belichick? And yep. the first returns obviously went all to Brady. However, I'm not about to sell Bill Belichick's uh, short in his ability to get the Patriots back to at least somewhere uh, where they were prior I asked you expectations of the Cowboys. Have the Patriots done enough to improve themselves to take what they think is their rightful spot, top of the division? The key words I would say here, Roger, on paper, it looks like they have. Again, key words on paper because they spent, what, over $100 million, you know, upgrading the receiving core and obviously the tight end spot. And then having uh, Hightower return from, you know, the COVID hiatus, he's the anchor of that defense, and I think they really missed him last year. And I would remind people, you know, yeah, New England had a substandard record for them, but they were in an awful lot of games. I mean, if Cam Newton doesn't fumble late in Buffalo territory, late in that game last year at Highmark Stadium, Patriots win that game. They also crapped away a game in Seattle where they had the lead, they should have won that one. They, my point is they were awfully competitive. Now you got to think, with those set additions, with Hightower coming back, and oh, by the way, Cam Newton, you know, if he's overall his ailments, and by the way, too, a full year now into the system, knows the offense better because Josh McDaniels' offense is as intricate as it is. If all those things come into play, I think the Patriots have a good shot to get back into the playoffs. Do I think they unseat Buffalo? Probably not because I think the Bills are the power broker in that division. And and to that point, too, about Brady and Belichick, I would remind people uh, Belichick was a defensive coordinator on those great Giants teams of the late 80s, early 90s. And before things went to hell in a handbasket in Cleveland, he actually had the Browns in the playoffs. So, to me, there's no doubt Bill Belichick has probably forgotten more football than you, me, and probably all of our listeners would tell you. So, you know, Brady, Belichick, yeah, a lot of that semantics. But trust me, I don't know if one has success without the other. I think they both had their part in that Patriot dynasty. No question about that. So, Zig, we got about two minutes. What else? What, what other storylines do you think as we head now into the second season or second week of the preseason in, in addition to what we've talked to? What's, what's piquing your interest? What are going to be the top topics in your show the next few weeks? 
Well, obviously, I, I think, um, you know, the situation there with uh, Jacksonville, you know, I know Urban Meyer's been talking about the fact that, you know, it's an open competition, but I don't think there's any question that, you know, he wants uh, Trevor Lawrence, the top overall pick of the draft, uh, to be the starter. So we'll see ultimately where that shakes out. Um, on our training camp tour today, they were with the 49ers. And it was interesting that there's supposedly this competition with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, yet, you know, you hear Kyle Shanahan say it. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, when he's been good, he's been very good uh, in this league, and he's going to be very tough to unseat. So if you want to read into that anything that you want, uh, in spite of that Trey Lance being around, you've got to think that uh, Garoppolo may still be the starter in San Francisco. And obviously Burrow uh, in Cincinnati, that's going to be an interesting one, too, if he's fully back from his ACL injury. So those are kind of the things that are, you know, piquing my interest. Always the new quarterback in new spots. And with Houston, what happens with Deshaun Watson? Does he play this year? Uh, is he going to get suspended? Is he going to be, you know, arrested uh, for all those alleged charges and, you know, lawsuits and everything like that? So uh, that's the storyline that keeps on giving. So, And then, by the way, and with Rodgers, too, you know, he's saying the right things, but is his mindset totally now all in with the Packers? Those are the things I'll be watching as the weeks go along. I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to you on your great show on Sirius XM. Zig Fracassi joining us. Talk some NFL as the preseason is underway. Zig, I always love your voice. Thanks so much for being with us. Stay well, and we'll talk soon, I hope. Anytime, Roger. Thank you. Thank you. Zig Fracassi joining us. That guy's got pipes. Got a great voice. <laughs> Zig Fracassi from Sirius XM. Will be an interesting season in the NFL. Just, my goodness, when you see if, if Brady, and they, they're, they're sticking by it, was really hampered by injury all of last year. At age 42, 43 year. Uh, wow. Even more. But see, uh, stop talking about Brady. Stop. Well, you know what? We'll stop talking about Brady when he retires and somebody else wins a Super Bowl or win six Super Bowl titles. Great stuff from Zig. Coming up, we'll also, later in the show, talk some more Blue Jays, get you ready for the game. It's coming up at 9.30, and we'll update our Twitter poll shortly. Individual sports game action will be available in Canada very soon. It has been in offshore sites for a long time, but this certainly opens it up to everybody and gets people talking about it. Is this great news for you? Is it exciting? Are you interested? Could you care less? We'll talk about that, and we'll talk more about those Blue Jays as they get ready to take on the Angels and try to get to within a game and a half of the wild card. Is the last couple of months of this season going to be fun or what? Sportsnet Tonight, I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. some money how about a little sports gambling that'll uh, fix your problem won't it i'm roger lejoie this is sportsnet tonight on sportsnet 590 the fan great to be with you our technical director tonight is andrew holland our producer is jr manitad and they join me for a couple of minutes here because i want to know their thoughts on our poll and we'll start with our producer jr 
So, JR, let me ask you, you know, your thoughts. It's a, it was approved by law several months ago. It is now confirmed that starting August 27th, I guess the process can start, but I'm told it's going to take a little while to get it up and running. But end of the day, free-range sports individual game betting goes in Canada, even though there have been offline shore sites that have been up for quite a long time. So how do you feel about it, young man? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see um, that we have the prospect of having one uh, one area to bet on in, in Canada that we we haven't had in a long time. Obviously, obviously, obviously we've had offshore accounts um, throughout the years. I, including myself, I do have one. I do, you know, dabble in sometimes, but I only usually bet on games if it's like during the playoffs or the postseason. I don't, so it's like a smaller field compared to the regular season. So I'm not, I'm not into it as much as I want to. But I mean, this is a good thing for those who are, um, or who are interested in betting on games. And the prospect of having this officially in Canada, you know, you never know. We, we, you see, um, like. The betting books in Vegas inside the Golden State, uh, not, not Golden State, the Golden Knights Arena. One day, maybe we could have that as the same place in Rogers Center or in Scotiabank Arena. So, you know, there's a possibly a lot. There's a lot of stuff that we can have throughout the country with uh, betting in Canada. So, um, it's it's good for betters, and hopefully, it, we have uh, a, a good a good time with it. You're you're right about the Vegas Golden Knights and other places in the United States, and I think you're going to see it. I believe Fenway Park's going to have one, uh, if they don't already have one, where you can uh, make wagers on sports and, and what you have. Andrew, how do you feel about Because both you and JR are of the same kind of vintage. I'm a much older guy. I'm just surprised by the kind of reaction we're getting back from people kind of saying they're late to the party. I, I find that interesting. What do you think? Yeah, I do a little bit, Raj. I, I'm kind of in that camp, though, because, like, for me, I've known the the offshore stuff, you know, like I know the accessibility there. And obviously everyone knows what ProLine is, but I'm not really too surprised that people are kind of like, you know, they are late to the party. I Maybe this is a stretch of an analogy or a comparison, but like when marijuana got legalized, I, I, think, I think the government and some other people maybe thought it was a, a bigger deal than it really was. That's a, where, great, that's a great point. Whereas a lot of people are like, yeah, I've been, you know, procuring it for many years. Or I don't necessarily think when you legalize something, it necessarily opens up the market that much more. I think people that want to do it have already done it before. I think that's a great point. And it will be interesting to see how the offshore sites respond how this actually looks and functions. How do you go about doing things? I mean, let's face it. It's one thing, you know, yeah, you can find, you can get an offshore account. They're all over. They advertise all over the place. It's easy enough to do. So even to call them illegal is like, you've been able to bet on individual sports games in Canada for a long time, but your marijuana analogy is is bang on. So like, why now am I going to go to the, the marijuana store Instead of dealing with the dealer, well, you never wanted to do that, but the legal ramifications. And is there going to be an advantage to us? Now, the fact that it's more readily accessible in sports gambling, I, I'm i still siding with the fact I think more people are going to bet. And to your point, JR, if you can make your bet at Rogers Center, if you, it's just become so easy to make that wager. It's one thing, you know, you decide you're going to go on, well, I'll call them Sports Interaction or Bets 365. You know, the, the ones that we all aware of. It's one thing, you go, you set up the account, you get the credit card, you do your stuff, and if you're a serious better, you're into it. But for the casual better, and he's at the game, and he walks in, and he sees a booth, JR, that says, bet on the Leafs tonight, 
he's going to bet on the Leafs tonight. So that's where I think the uptake's going to be. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but maybe the fact that we it's so much easier, it's going to increase the volume. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I mean, you've seen sports leagues now nowadays include the t- on on the ticker on TV. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are plus one seventy five over the Golden State Warriors. Whatever, whatever it may be. A PJ Tour. They have the betting betting odds on every single player during the leaderboard as the day as the tournament goes on throughout the weekend. So we're going to see a lot more of that. Betting betting in sports has grown a lot. A lot of people are getting into it, especially when a lot of people are, are on their phones, right? And betting on their phones is pretty easy. You pretty much load up your money and you press two clicks and you're good to go. You have money on the Blue Jays uh, money line over the Los Angeles Angels uh, for tonight. Um, in terms of having, you know, books in the stadium, you never know. With with sports leagues nowadays, they're gonna try to partner up with big um, betting books. You never like DraftKings. They might partner with them. So it, it might be an, an interaction point of view when it comes to if you're at a baseball game, you can load, load up your phone and bet on the spot. Whether if, if whether you think Shohei Otani is going to pitch seven innings or not, it's just quick and easy, and, and you know you'll see that happen more often throughout the years to come. You know, uh, Andrew Jr. brings up another interesting element of this, and an emailer was talking about this earlier, and I've had a couple of other texts since then of of people saying uh, the same kind of thing. What they don't want to see is the sports betting getting to a stage where it interferes with the broadcast. Uh, and and I'm not interfere might be the wrong word, but what Jr. is talking about. You watch golf, the latest lines and everything else. And I've heard people in the industry, and I, I'll say this right out: I hope it never comes to this. But I've heard people in the sports broadcasting industry tell me that the third man in the booth at some point is going to be a gambling expert, giving you odds on whether or not Otani is going to hit a home run this time up and when he comes up. That is over the line. For me, I get revenue. I get the way you do these kind of things. So does that make it even more prominent? And now that it's legal and now the government's involved and now there's a license out there, well, and you've already saw it during the Hockey Night Canada broadcast. They were talking more about betting lines than they ever did. Ron McLean was even making a joke about it. So that'll be another interesting thing to keep an eye on. For sure. And I'm, I don't mind them pushing it, but I don't, I'm like you, Raj. I don't want to see it take over a broadcast. And that's one of the reasons I've, um, like JR, I've kind of dabbled in and out over the years. But one of the reasons why I have kind of stopped is because I just wanted to get back to enjoying the sports. I don't want to have to have a rooting interest in every single thing I do. That's one reason why I don't generally play fantasy sports anymore is because I, I was in a fantasy Premier League at the station here. And one of the reasons I stopped is like, I just wanted to watch soccer. I don't want to have to like root for someone in particular. Did never winning the pool have any hey, sequel? <laughs> I, I won year one. No. I was the inaugural winner. Yeah. Wow. And you yes. gave it up. I Man, did. Donovan I Bennett won it this past year. So I'll let, I'll let the others have a try. Well, well said. Thank you. Andrew Holland, our fine technical director, J.R. Manitad, our producer. What say you guys? By text, 590-590, name and location, Email roger at sportsnet590.ca on Twitter at the Raj590. Your thoughts on our topic of the day coming up, and I'll read some more comments in our final half hour with you because Blue Jay baseball is coming up at 9.30, and Otani is on the mound tonight for the Angels as the Blue Jays try to get to within one and a half games of a wild card. Feel like making a bet on it? You'll be able to do that much easier than you ever have before too long. I'm Roger Lajoie. Sportsnet Tonight continues on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We are the most important.
important part of your bedtime routine. This is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan, I'm Roger Lajoie. Here to the bottom of the hour, Blue Jays and Angels coming up. Blue Jays looking for another series win and to get to within one and a half games of the wild card. Excitement, excitement, excitement. Is there excitement in your mind for the fact that individual betting will now be legal in Canada? Although, as many of you have pointed out numerous times to me, no big deal. The offshore sites have been in operation for a long time. You've had a lot of accounts, and therefore, this is not such a big deal. Well, 49.1% of you say you are not interested in this announcement made by the Canadian government today. 27% say yes, you're big time interested. 23.9% say uh, a little bit. Had a couple of uh, tweeters earlier. Mikey tweets in and said, I had an offshore account when the old Nokia phones were new, LOL. This isn't a big deal, really, and so far behind, it's barely news. It used to be called Bowman's back in the day. Now it's called Bet365. That is one of them, Mikey. And says, I used to have a uh, to call in my bet. It was that long ago, maybe 30 years. Got my odds from the newspaper. Mikey, thank you. You're not the only one who is just kind of dismissing this for that various reason. We got a couple of emailers who feel the same way about this and some texters as well. So I encourage you to keep the comments coming, because this is interesting stuff indeed. 590-590 is a text. 590-590 during the text. And you can also, is a text on Twitter, at the Raj 590 Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. And we love your feedback. We got a ton of it, and we'll read them uh, throughout the course of the show. However, the Blue Jays are the main event. And Itan Diamandez joins us from Sports Illustrated, Blue Jays writer. And Ethan, thanks very much for being with us. And let's talk about this team. And let's talk about the fact that the Blue Jays continue to win baseball games big time. Yeah. Hey, Roger. Thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to talk about the Blue Jays. And yeah, my goodness, they are now, I believe it's, they've won 12 of 15. Um, over their over their last stretch here, and uh, they're re- they've really turned it on since the All Star break. Uh, I think the uh, the deadline additions have done them pretty well, especially uh, with Jose Barrios. And my goodness, there's this guy named George Springer. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's done pretty well too. Um, so they've turned it on, but uh, unfortunately, so has the the rest of the AL East. So. Uh, the Blue Jays are in a tight race at the moment. It is a tight race, but the excitement is pronounced because a uh, win tonight and they'll just be a game and a half back. And, you know, uh, there there is no question that when you look at this lineup of uh, Vladdy, Bichette, uh, Springer, T. Oscar, just such an incredible, you know, lineup all the way down. But I wonder sometimes, you know, if maybe, you know, we always use the one name for these guys, Vladdy, Bichette, T. Oscar, Springer, that Marcus should be getting even more attention than he is. And his veteran bat and presence in this lineup is kind of sometimes, I think, forgotten, as strange as it can be, because people look at him as a one and out. Is that something that we should be generally saying about him? Well, I wouldn't get that far yet. Uh, I'd start by, yeah, maybe maybe saying that Marcus is a bit forgotten in this uh, in this powerful lineup. Uh, if you look at the Fangraphs wins above replacement rating, 
Uh, Vlad Jr. is number one. He's 5.1 war. And you know what? Right behind him, among all players in the American League, is, is Marcus Simeon. And, you know, I, I think that's crazy to, 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 to talk about. Uh, for just $18 million this offseason, you know, um, George Springer was the big splash. Uh, but just a week later, you know, they signed Marcus Simeon. And like you mentioned, he's, he's a huge veteran voice. Um, and he can help guys, you know, especially on defense like Bo Bichette. And uh, to think about him maybe leaving this offseason, I, I don't know right now if that's uh, um, if, if they're talking extensions or what that is. Ross Atkins was asked about that actually recently, and he kind of uh, he kind of deferred it and said, you know, we'll keep that info in house. Um, but you know, the Blue Jays have the funds to sign him. Uh, Mark Shapiro's mentioned that the pandemic has been tough on them financially, but uh, with guys like Bichette. And Vladdy, who are on those pre-arbitration deals, you know, collectively those two guys are making just uh, just under 1.2 million dollars. Um, when I think about the, the 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 prospect of an extension, though, one thing kind of stands out as, as a, a miniature block in my mind, and that's about you know how much Marcus Simeon really likes to play shortstop. Uh, Ross Atkins admitted that you know convincing him to play second was a bit of a sell uh, this offseason. Um, Simeon loved the Jays' young core, and so that that helped him out and. Uh, you know, my stance has softened a little bit, uh, you know, reading a, a piece uh, in NBC Sports Boston about um, how he was considering, you know, signing with the Red Sox, and obviously they have an incumbent there. But um, it, it, it's possible he tests free agency, but, uh, you know, I, I think I think there's, a, there's, there's talks that are happening, and uh, it would be great for him to, to speak with the team. I don't think there's any question that he's a guy I would very much like to see back in Toronto, and maybe people aren't talking quite enough about that just uh, yet. We shall see. Ethan Diamandez is with us from uh, Sports Illustrated. I'm Roger Lajoie. Jay's coming up bottom of the hour against the Angels. 9.30 right here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan and on Sportsnet. Jose Barrios getting the ball for the Blue Jays and Shoatani uh, the ball uh, for the Angels. A great pitching matchup and another further illustration, I think, because the optimism around this team is so high is because of the improvement in the starting pitching. And we're seeing it with Jose right from the get-go after the deal. He's been great. Yeah, Jose Brios has been awesome. Uh, I was down at Rogers Center for his, uh, for his big debut, and, and he was phenomenal. And the crowd loved him. You know, the moment he stepped out onto the field, uh, took a slow walk for his warm-ups, you know, he, people gradually recognized him, and they just went crazy for him. Uh, and, you know, he, he showed out to them on the field. He used his curveball. Uh, that's his best pitch by far. And he spun that thing, you know, right off the plate and got good swings and misses. And that was all, you know, that first start, that was all after him showing up, you know, the night before, moving to a different country during a pandemic, you know, leaving the Twins for the first time in his career. And, you know, he's been, uh, he's been able to carry that through to his next few starts. And uh, people talk about the MVP matchup uh, between Vlad and Otani tonight, but Barrios is, uh, is going to be a big part of Toronto's winning efforts tonight if they can pull it off. No question about it. Another thing that Barrios does and the improvement in the starting pitching does, uh, Ethan, and I think it's such an important thing and it's really bears repeating is it makes it life so much easier for the bullpen. And the bullpen, of course, was the cause of so many meltdowns earlier in the season. And it was such a difficult thing uh, to have to watch. But it was, first of all, because of injuries. Um, low leverage pitchers were pitching in high leverage situations. I know that sounds disrespectful, but that indeed was the case. It's no longer the case because of a return to health. And the arms are going to stay fresher because these guys are pitching deeper. We always knew Ryu was a, an innings eater, but um, um, Jose's been doing that. Uh, they've been getting great work uh, from um, uh, Alex uh, Manoia. Like when the starters go deeper, the bullpen gets better just because they're fresher, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Charlie Montoya's talked a lot, a lot um, about that recently, especially, uh, you know, the other night when Stripling went down, which uh, which was unfortunate. And, and that injury is kind of a big blow to uh, to Toronto's pitching depth, which is, has been a surprising strength, you know, over the, over the last little while. Um, but, you know, the bullpen stepped up and it had been a while, before, you know, since they had an opportunity to really or had 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 been forced to work however long it was, five full innings. And we saw guys like Trevor Richards uh, and guys like Adam Simber kind of step up. And those are two midseason acquisitions who have really bolstered, you know, and those are high leverage guys too. Simber, especially, he's been phenomenal since he joined Toronto. Um, and those are two high leverage guys that, you know, now we can feel comfortable uh, working in, in high leverage situations. And um, they haven't had to use guys like Rafael Dulis or, or other people in, in, in leverage spots because the bullpen simply just isn't as worn out. Because guys like Manoa, who threw 114 pitches uh, yesterday, are working deep into games and giving uh, giving the Jays a chance to win every night. They are, and winning a lot of the nights as well as they look for three out of four from the Angels uh, starting at uh, 9.30 tonight. One of the uh, great uh, moments, I think, in the game, and this hasn't happened in, in 100 years in baseballs, you have two MVP candidates facing each other, and the MVP candidate in this case, though, is, you know, going for the home run title and the batting title and the OPS title against Vladdy Jr. And he's on the mound. How much fun is it going to be to see Otani take on Vladdy Jr., his number one rival for the MVP, except he's also pitching tonight? My goodness, Roger, I cannot wait. Like this, this is this is what you, you, you wait for. This is what you dream about, these types of matchups. And I think it's so great for baseball, you know. Never mind, you have a two-way phenom uh, who's an international player, and you know, and he's the home run, the home run king right now. Like that, that is just outrageous. So people have been waiting for this matchup for a long time. Uh, I, I guess it does come at a bit of an untimely point of the season. Vlad's been struggling a little bit lately. His OPS is down over 600 in August, and Otani's been struggling hitting-wise a little bit. But my goodness, he's been on fire pitching. Uh, he's thrown four straight quality starts. He's only walked one batter in his last 26 innings. Like he is, he is pitching at the level that you know the Angels expect him to pitch. And uh, you know, if he faces Vladdy, he may Vladdy may be at a bit of a disadvantage given some of his struggles. But we've seen how talented he is, and we've seen him take massive hacks and you know rise to the to the occasion in the biggest spots. So uh, I kind of expect no different from uh, either of those guys tonight. Oh, we were talking about it earlier, Ethan, on the show, and then there, I'm not worried about either of those two guys in terms of the hitting slumps. And yeah, Otani has also been in a little bit of a slump, as has been uh, Vladdy Jr. But you look at the numbers overall, and they're still phenomenal. And it's a, a long season, a lot of baseball to go. And, you know, in the case of both, I mean, Vladdy Jr., first of all, is only 22 and playing every day. And, and you know, the fatigue is going to be a part of it. Maybe the bat speed a little less than it should be at this stage. And same thing with Otani, you know, too. We get so spoiled from them. We expect, like, constant. They're never going to have a down period ever. And no matter how good they are, they're going to go through the blips like this. But the blips they're going through is still decent compared to a lot of people in the majors. So that's another reason. These two guys are pretty special. They really are. And, you know, I I wish I could be so good at my craft that my, my bad days were still good days. Um, and you know what, Vladdy, Vladdy said it the other day uh, really well. And he, he said, you know, uh, playing every single game every day, something to the extent of this, he said, playing, playing every day, you know, if anyone tells you they're 100% after playing every single game, you know, they're, they're lying to you. And that, that was kind of a, a, good, a, good, uh, a good quote and a good bit of honesty from Vladdy because 
yeah, it, it's August. And, you know, he, he had his first off day a couple series ago, and it was 162 straight for him as, as a 22-year-old. And you know what? That, that's going to wear on you physically, and it's also going to wear on you mentally. And we've seen Vladdy kind of show a bit more frustration than he normally does. Uh, a couple nights ago, he slammed the bat. Um, and, you know, when, when, the, uh, when the blue jacket, the blue home run jacket was getting passed around uh, last night, you know, Vladdy, he didn't, he didn't get to wear it. And not, not to say that, like, Vladdy has, has any problems with character or anything like that. He's a phenomenal, uh, excitable guy. But he looked, he looked kind of down in the dugout. And uh, we all know how it feels when you see, you know, your friends and, and, and your colleagues doing super well and you just can't seem to find it. But, um, yeah, he's hit, a bit, he's hit a bit of a wall. But like you said, I don't think there's, a, there's too much uh, reason to worry at this point. And exactly, Ethan. And, you know, it's funny. I'm glad you brought up the Blue Jays, you know, the home run jacket and, and the fun they're having that with the team and coming up with a, a unique way of celebrating the homers and, and everything else. Because there, there's one thing about this ball club, really, I, I don't want to say even from day one this season, but I think of all of last season, we've kind of focused and centered on they haven't had a home game. It's so tough. They're on the road all the time. But what do we always say, though, about teams that are on the road and a good long road trip they bond. They get together. Now, this is extreme. Nobody wants not to have a home game for 22 months. And I'm not trying to turn this into a positive. But I am saying that from the outside, at least, this ball club, even last year in the quasi-bubble that baseball had, looked like they were tight. And it's the same thing this year. And even at the start of the year when the record wasn't there, you never saw that set loss of enthusiasm or you never hear of squabbles in the clubhouse and everything else. Surely that's got to account for something because this team looks to be one happy bunch. And I know, I know happy teams don't necessarily win, but maybe just talk about the demeanor of this team for the most part being so high. Yeah, absolutely, Roger. This team has the most fun in baseball, I can tell you that. And you can really pick your moment uh, lately of what's been, you know, the, the most the most fun moment. And, and I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, the, the Jays turned their clubhouse into into a nightclub. And the guys were all partying and Alec Minot was having a good chuckle. And then, you know, the antics in the dugout, we see those all the time. Uh, in that one series in Kansas City when, when the Jays returned to Rogers Center, they taped Vladdy to the bench, like, him, him and Springer doing their dances and joking around. Like, I really, I really, really do think that is a, you know, it has a big influence on, on how this team plays. And uh, as such a young team, you know, you want to make baseball fun. It's 162 games, right? Like, it's not, you know, it's not short. You play every day, and it, it's going to exhaust you mentally and to, to keep things light when you can, uh, especially with guys like Lourdes Gurriel and Teoscar and them. They're, all, they're always having fun. They're always smiling, and uh, I think I think it really uplifts this team, and it makes them much better. It certainly appears to be the case, and and it is nice to see. So let's talk, take a couple of minutes, uh, Ethan, and and talk about the rest of the competition for the wild card, and it's going to be intriguing because we centered on the Blue Jays, their return to health, their very positive trade deadline, going all in, all bodes well. However, you see the Yankees certainly you know bolstered their their lineup. Uh, significantly. Tampa Bay did what they could given their economic status. Oakland is still in the mix here. There's there's a lot of teams. Seattle's hanging around. But when you really look down and you get the strength of schedule and you look at the Jays' opposition, it's not quite like in 15 and 16 when it seemed like all those teams had kind of mailed it in and let the Blue Jays do their thing. It was just a perfect storm for the Jays. They brought in Price. They brought in Tulo while the Yankees were having an offseason and the Red Sox were a miss. They're not a miss, 
but they're really still not power-packed teams. It's another reason to think that if you look at all the teams, who's capable of going on the hottest run, it's hard, even without being a homer, to say, well, it's probably going to be the Blue Jays. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and you look at the streak they've been on lately, like I said, since the All-Star break, and, and they've been killing it. Um, but the division is strong. I mean, Boston's been taking a, a bit of a beating lately, and then the other night, you know, they just had enough, and they, they put 20 runs on Tampa Bay, and it shows you, you know, just how quickly uh, things can change. But if you take a peek at the Blue Jays' schedule over the next little while, you know, they have, they have, they have Seattle, and Seattle's in, in the wildcard race, but they're not, not really in it. And then, and then you have Washington, and then, and then you get Detroit, and then you have, you have a long series against the White Sox. But those are the next, the next couple of weeks, the Jays can really, really make up some ground. And you know what? They're going to have to, especially with, with how well the, uh, the rest of the division's been playing. And if I was going to circle anything on my calendar, Roger, it would be uh, the, the two series that the Jays have against the Yankees in September. Uh, and, and one of those series is, is a three-gamer, I believe, to, to end the year. Um, and a lot, a lot of been made about you know how Oakland's doing and how Boston's doing, but the Jays control their own destiny, and that and that's always 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 what you want uh, in in the sport. You know Toronto needs to beat the Yankees uh, when they have the chance to, and they need to beat the teams that they should beat. Um, and the chance is there for them, and 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 that's what you want. Uh, you want you want the ball in your hands, and uh, the next few months of Blue Jays baseball are definitely must watch TV. That so far, much watch uh, TV and radio coming down the stretch uh, without question. Finally, too, uh, Ethan, I think another reason uh, for optimism is, and I don't think the Blue Jays could have asked for better from their homestand, not just in terms even of wins and losses, but the significant impact that having fans in the stands made for this ball club uh, in the last little while. I had an opportunity to be at the first two games, Friday and Saturday was the official score of those games, and it was just, it was electric. It was wonderful to be in the ballpark, and I know people have waxed poetic about it, but if, when you're looking at how you think the rest of the season is going to go, we already talked about how difficult it was for this team to not have a home game in 22 months. How much of an advantage is it that they've got this many home games left when they can have 14,000, 15,000 people in the park? It's an incredible advantage. And, yeah, I, I had the privilege to be at that opening series, too. And, my goodness, the word electric is used a lot, but it, it really, really was. Like, the, the buzz in that stadium was crazy. And, you know, you know how Canadian fans are for any sport, but after not seeing your team for two years, they went, you know, crazy for their team. When, when Toronto ran out of, uh, out of that center field wall, like, it, everyone went crazy, and it was an emotional moment. And I think, you know, after that series – that series, the opening series was done, and then the homestand had finished. I think everyone in the clubhouse, you know, had a chance to kind of reflect uh, and, and realize, you know, how badly this this fan base wants their team to win. And Montoya's talked a, a lot about that. He's talked about, you know, um, how much he wants to win for this country, for 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 the city. He he wants to win, and um, yeah, with so many with so many home games coming up, uh, the Jays are going to see again just just how badly their fans want them to win it all. We'll see. Lots of baseball still to be played, lots of teams to leapfrog, and some games still to make up. But the Blue Jays, two games back of the wild card as we get ready for tonight's broadcast and cannot wait for that. Uh, Ethan Mendez joining us from Sports Illustrated, covers the Blue Jays. Jays coming up right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan at uh, 9.30. Ben Wagner's got the call. Game also on Sportsnet. Ethan, thanks so much for your time. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Roger. Thanks so much. Thank you. Ethan Adimande is joining us from Sports Illustrated. Lots of cards in place for the Blue Jays. 
Gotta like the schedule. Gotta like the home games. So many different ways to say, yes, this is going to be the year. Everything looks great. Still some ball games to win. And tonight, how much fun will it be to see Otani pitch against Vladdy? That is much listened to, uh, must watch and much listened to coming up. And Ben Wagner has a call shortly right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. All right, to wrap up our poll, still 20 minutes left to get your vote in, but it's pretty decisive tonight. And I have to say, I am a little bit surprised, even though I shouldn't be, given the nature of the offshore betting. And we've had betting shows here on The Fan for many years it's not a big deal to a lot of you. The question tonight was single-game sports betting is officially coming to Canada. Will you be taking advantage of this? 49.7% of you say not interested. 27% say yes, big time. And 23.3% say a little bit. Depends, I guess, on whether or not you've got an online account, how much you've done it before, how much of a better you are. So many factors in this. But I really appreciate the insight from many of you. Barb has been a regular emailer of the show for many years. So, Barb, a shout-out to you. Thank you very much. You can always reach me on email, roger at sportsnet590.ca. And she echoes the comments a lot of you made earlier in the show. Says, hi, Roger. It was a major blunder by Canada to not have had government-run single-game gambling run by top gambling professionals all these years. The revenue could have gone into helping to support our health care system and other social programs. Canada could have been the go-to offshore, in quotes, site for tens of millions of American bettors who would have had a trusted account in Canada more than a sketchy small island country. Barb, thank you. You echo what a lot of people are saying and feeling about this issue. They may be late to the party. We shall see. We shall see how much of this pronounced extra attention, advertising, and let's see how it looks. Let's see what government betting offers in terms of odds and opportunity and ease of betting and everything else, as opposed to the other options that people have been using for a long time. And there are some people that just do not want to give a credit card to an offshore site. They don't. And I know people swear by them. Some people say no. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, James in Grimsby says it's the government. So compare their odds to real gambling sites. They are brutal. Why let the government track your money on your winnings? Government gambling in general is a joke. James, thank you. That is what I meant, though, to say, if this is going to be the same kind of show that Proline is, well, clearly the sophisticated gambler will stay away. It is not a controversial thing to say that Proline is, largely speaking, if you've got better options, either in Vegas or other places where it's legal, a sucker's bet. The odds aren't as good, and you need a parlay of three teams. That's that's why this bill was introduced in the first place. So I get your point, James, but before I criticize the payout, how it's going to work run by the government, I'd like to see the details on this. I, I, find, it, um, I find it very, uh, very uh, fascinating. Adam in Toronto says, Raj, ProLine's just not gambling. The ProLine odds are terrible. That's why people use offshore accounts, because they give proper odds. My question to you is, do you think ProLine will give industry standard odds? For example, ProLine takes the actual odds, subtracts, and he gets into that. And if they don't change the way people operate, people will continue not to use them. And again, thank you very much uh, for that, Adam. I don't have the answer to that because no details were announced as to how this is going to be structured. And I would gather, from what I'm told, 
It's going to take a while for this to take effect, even though they, I guess, can do it um, sooner rather than later. Much appreciated, everyone. Great comments. Another quickie from Brian in Aruba, who says, is anyone aware of Espinal at third? 293 batting average and a Hoover with the glove. Brian, great review to bring him up. He has been a major factor in this team's success, and it's the depth of this team uh, that is a big factor. Espinal's been terrific, and he's had a lot of great hits, and you're right. He's tremendous. And our guy, Wet in Wetland, uh, Wet in Wet, uh, Welland, managed to fix his washing machine. Thanks, bro. Go, Blue Jays. Wet, thanks to you, and way to go. Way to go to all of you for all of your comments. Thank you. Always great to hear from you. You can reach any of our shows, any of them at all, on text 59590. Put your name and your location, please, if you're texting. Email anytime, roger at sportsnet590.ca. And I'm on Twitter at the Raj 590 And I'll join you again tomorrow night between 7 and 10 o'clock as the Blue Jays are in Seattle tomorrow. And game time is around 10 o'clock. So I'll join you for an extra half hour. Delighted to be joined by our great technical director, Andrew Dutch Holland. Andrew, great job as always. J.R. Manitad, our terrific producer, doing his outstanding work as well. Stick around. Speaking of outstanding work, Ben Wagner's coming up. He's got the call of the game on the radio. I can't wait to get in my car and listen. Have a great night, everybody. I'll talk to you tomorrow night. Blue Jay baseball is on the way. I'm Roger Lajoie. Follow me on Twitter at the Raj 590 Have a great night. Enjoy the ball game, and thanks for listening to Sportsnet tonight. Roger Lajoie. It's done! See you later! Roger Lajoie. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm really taking this far too seriously. Good night, everybody!